What's going on, everybody? It is Coach Greg Adams back in here with another YouTube live stream. And that's you. Shout out to the Coach Gang for being here, being involved, and being active on this YouTube channel. All right. I just have to check the audio real quick. We are back in here with another Blue Chip Mindset series, man. Shout out to the Blue Chip Mindsets. This is our Wednesday. We are on the 29th episode, and I might have missed one or two here. We're on the 29th episode of the Blue Chip Mindset series. And what we do on the Blue Chip Mindset series is we remind men, either provide them with some inspiration, somewhat some motivation or information or education about what they need to do to keep their money on their mind and their mind on their money or whatever all of that stuff is. Okay. Now, the Blue Chip Mindset came about about Blue, Blue Chip has been in our lexicon for a long time. A lot of HR recruiters look for Blue Chip candidates. A lot of companies are identifying themselves as blue chip stocks or blue chip companies. These are the most reliable employees, the most reliable citizens, the most reliable companies there is. And we brought that blue chip mindset here so that us men can get established on a path so we can have a plan. We teach you guys to have a one year, three year and a five year plan documented out so that you, whatever path you take, marriage, singlehood, free agent lifestyle, being out there with these 304s, pump and dump, MGTOW, red pill, whatever it is, we're educating you guys to get your money and your financial situation together. And that is going to take an intentional focus on whatever your thing is. So you must have a plan. Many of you will realize that many of the women that you were wanting to be with or any of these women that you wanted to marry or be engaged with, many of them who want to divorce you, they have absolutely no plan. Many of their lives are lived off of emotions and their plan is you, all right? The man is the plan. And so uh, we say that a lot of times they get into relationships and ultimately they can get out of these relationships with an exit plan. And ultimately that plan is to transfer money from them to you, all right? And, and that's you. All right, so we have to have a plan, all right? I always tell you guys, document everything. By the way, let's talk about this. Um, I have my courses on Teachable. You can get those courses. They're there, but they're there. They're there. They're not there. Unapologetically Masculine and Conquer. Uh, you can get those over there where we teach you guys how to go into plans. But the better plan for you guys is also to get the exclusive content on Patreon where we do the money mindset streams on Sunday night. These are exclusive members. They pay a $50 a month fee to get the knowledge and information that we're providing for you on all kinds of subject matter, starting businesses, being an entrepreneur, self-employment. Uh, taxes, credit, organization, business planning. I mean, we cover a gamut of of um, of uh, subject matter. And not only do we cover them, we have about 30 or more past streams that are on there. So if you join today, you get access to all of those streams that are uh, specifically, specifically about money. All right. And you also get the seeking arrangement streams that you can also get live on locals. You get all of that stuff. Great, great deal. For men who are intentional about changing the direction of their life, it requires an investment. A lot of people, there's a funny meme of a guy that says, oh, we don't need any of those courses. We don't need to pay. I'll just learn what I need to learn for free on YouTube. Well, whatever you learn for free, I'm sorry for the voice crack, whatever you learn for free, most likely you will not apply to your life. Most likely it will take you more time to try to you know, funnel through all of the information to get all of the information that you need for free, you might be able to get it a little bit easier, but you don't have to do it. I'm not forcing it down your throat. Um, a lot of the con a lot of the content that I give you is a lot of free game, but it is hidden 
it is hidden. That means you have to work. It requires you to watch long streams. All right. If I wanted to just give it to you in short streams and give you all the information and then you just write it down and then take off and become millionaires. All right. That's not quite the investment. So not only do you have to invest money for yourself, you have to invest time. And if you're not willing to invest time, you're probably going to be in the same spot coming up in the next decade or two. By the way, you're living in the biggest wealth transfer in the history of the world. You're living in the biggest wealth transfer in the history of the world. Let me guys show you this real quick. The 10 richest men doubled their fortunes in the pandemic while income of 99% of humanity falls. All right. New billionaires minted every 26 hours as inequity contributes to the death of one person every second. You're also seeing here millions become millionaires during the C-19 pandemic, and they became rich while some of you ninjas are still complaining about $8 gasoline, $7, $6, $5, all right? And you're seeing your wealth and your potential wealth uh, go, go down, and you're seeing a lot of people that saw this as a great opportunity to build their wealth. This is the greatest wealth transfer in the history of the world. Or, and, and they're calling this the build back better years. I say to you guys, the train is leaving the station. The train is leaving the station, guys. Once the train leaves, there's no catching it, and it ain't coming back for another route or route. It's not coming back. I've been warning you guys of this since 2018 when I wrote The Free Agent Lifestyle. I felt this coming, and I've been warning you since I wrote the book Evolution in 2019. That hit the shelves in 2020. I've been warning you, something's on the horizon and it's not going to be good for you. But you guys wanted to be out here calling me an incel and can't get no peace leave, a virgin, despite the fact that I was married and had two kids. A lot of dudes tried to say I didn't have game. And I said, man, if you think my channel is about getting you laid, you're absolutely out of your mind. Or complaining about getting laid, you're absolutely out of your mind. I know how to, listen, getting laid is the easiest thing you could do out here today. All right, my channel was never about that. It was warning you guys to prep for the future. That's why they call me Coach Dodamas. It wasn't about getting you laid by some fat, overweight woman or a man posing as a woman like some of these game artists are out here doing. That was never my purpose. And a lot of people misconstrued that and they thought that was my message. Never was about that. I was telling you, don't cohabitate, don't get into relationships, don't marry. And the reason why is because the, the, the way this country is going and the world, you're not going to be ready to carry that dead weight. And that weight that you're going to carry, you're going to carry it for so long, and then it's going to destroy your ability to build generational wealth going forward. That's what my channel's been about. And I was hoping that the Mickey Mouse Club was able to grab onto that concept, but not so. But anyway, look. We do this. I stick my neck out on the line and people continue to sponsor this show. I really want to say thank you very much for sponsoring today's show, even though there's a lot of hurt people and they come in here believing that I'm hurt. I'm only trying to help. I'm only trying to heal. This is therapy for me and it's therapy for you guys because we put you back on the right track. The track is to not be a, uh, a, a mule for people who don't appreciate you, Okay, who think you're a bank or that money grows on trees or they're using you as a starter husband. There's women that say, marry the first man, marry the first man for money, marry the second man for love. This is the conversation they're having out here about you men and they're using your heart 
And they're going to use your purse strings to elevate them by you intentionally or inadvertently raising their sexual marketplace value so they can find the next man for love. All right. This is the sick society that we live in. All right. It's absolutely sick. And a lot of you guys are unaware of this. And I bring this awareness to you not to bring hate to women. There's no reason to hate women. All right. There's no reason to hate women at all. There's no reason to hate the idea of relationships. I'm just warning you about the mindset of these people that they're controlled by the government and the and so I'm warning you that this is the direction that they're going. This is the intentions that they have. And they are unapologetic about it 100%. We talk about equality, but when I show you the lack of equality in other areas, in particularly teaching, education, in particularly human resource departments, and particularly mental health therapists, social workers, counselors, and all of that stuff who are primarily dominated by female uh, females, and all of a sudden, these people have a great impact on your life. They cornered the market, man. They've cornered you guys. They surrounded you guys, and they control the media. These are the fact checkers. These are all of a sudden the people who are counting ballots at the election poll. These are people who are the writers of magazines and the internet articles. These are the people who are controlling the pen. They are they they have you guys cornered, and there's not a lot that you can do. They have the government by their nose hairs, okay? All right, by their nose hairs, if it wasn't for them the government wouldn't have a job so they put all of the people in social services these companies these these areas are pretty much 60 70 80 percent female dominated fields and you're going to come in contact with these people primarily through relationships <laughs> primarily through relationships now if you did not engage in relationships and you minded your own business odds are you will not come in contact with any of these people all right, even human resources, you wouldn't even need the human resources. We showed you the evil human resource lady yesterday, all right, and how she said she was an angry white woman and she hates men. And she's looking to do whatever she needs to do to get men. These are the people you're coming in contact to by not having the idea of the free agent lifestyle mindset, a free man's mindset, which are free man's walking paper, and you don't have a blue chip mindset or a money mindset. Right, this is what we're trying to get you to avoid by avoiding relationships altogether. You'll never come in contact with a mental health therapist, a social worker. You'll never come in contact with a child support agency. You'll never come in contact with a family court official or a family law attorney. All of these people are there to strip your wealth and your generational wealth. All right, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. All right, and we are off. We're out of the gates. We have seven hundred people watching. Appreciate you guys being here because listen. These streams are the least popular streams, meaning they're the least populated streams, but they're the most popular for those who watch. Okay, the, when you watch these streams, you get way more information, right? You get critical information, information that you can apply. But of course, not many people's here. I'm not gossiping. I'm not talking about some celebrity breakup. I'm not talking about women in marriage and the, the marriage wheel, which I love these series. But of course, as soon as I change the subject, Soon as I change the subject and say these things will better you too, guess what? They out of here, man. And people have always tried to say, "Why don't you talk about something else?" Well, here I am talking about something else, and they ain't here. <laughs> they ain't here. Isn't that isn't that odd? All right, that was one of the shaming languages that they would say. All you talk about is women. Well, that seems to be the only videos you click on because I have a series called Blue Chip Mindset, twenty nine episodes. And I guarantee you, they watched zero of them. <laughs> All of a sudden, they ain't here. 
All right. But they always think that this is what I talk about. Hey, I'm talking about this right here. We're talking about wealth, generational wealth, building wealth, becoming an entrepreneur, self-employment, being self-sufficient. We're talking about the and they ain't here. All right. So anyway, man, look, let's get into this, by the way, to support this show dollar sign CGA live on the cash app. You will let your voice be heard or you can just donate a couple of dollars or shekels or whatever you need to do. Or you can hit up paypal.me backslash coach Greg Adams. And that is linked at the top of the live chat. If you're listening via SoundCloud and iTunes, and Apple and Google and all of that stuff, you can get it done too after the show. No big deal. All right. Um. Anyway, this is the one of the, some of the most enriching content that men need because unfortunately, you know, we're in the process of where we're really trying to what they call empower women and we're spending millions, if not billions of dollars to do so um, to make them corporate slaves, lemmings, drones, and only for them to end up in student loan debt, poor and broke by their 40s, single mothered or divorced and struggling. All right. That's what we're doing, but we're doing it at the expense of men. And a lot of young men under the under the age of 30 are walking around here, deaf, dumb and blind. All right. No direction. No no, no chances of wifing anybody up in the next five years. You ain't wifing nobody up. You can't even put a little stank on your finger. All right. And so we've done all of these things to empower women, which is cool, but we've done it at the expense of men. And we created this gender war in which some women, um, they, they assume under some utopian idea that um, if women are in charge, there'll be no more wars. <laughs> okay. Uh, we've caused all the wars. I see it on Twitter. I saw some little dialogue. Look at these men. The reason why these things happen is because men are in charge, all right? And men have been creating the wars, and men have been doing this. I was like, and men have also provided you with a great amount of safety and security, all right? Listen, men have also provided you with that, but you take, um, boy, there's a lot of entitlement. There's a lot of entitlement, and it's absolutely sad. So um, the same people complaining about men being warmongers and causing conflicts and all these things, uh, then they got the they got the nerve to be out here talking that mess. And men have provided you with a great amount of safety um, and the ability to walk the street almost unharmed. Where are we at here? Harold L says, speaking of generational wealth, John Elway didn't understand the blue chip mindset set back then, or the blue chip mindset back then. And it's cost them it's going to cost them nine hundred million dollars. Whoa, whoa! We're going to talk about the Denver Broncos. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I'm not sure what the um, deal with is with John Elway, but perhaps when I get to the article, we can cover that. But we're going to talk about the Denver Broncos here in a minute because it's an example of generational wealth. We're going to talk about a generational wealth of myth. Some people believe it's a myth, a fantasy, right? We'll talk about that and we'll give you examples. We'll give you the statistics too, right? Uh, let's see here. Yeah, we got... Um, all right, we got some, we got some, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's start off on the cash apps. Christopher, he says, Chris and Nick, shout out to Chris and Nick. He says, coach, you're 100% on point. I right, appreciate that, man. It's good to know that I'm on point with uh, the audience. Not everybody has to agree with everything that I say. I know I'm a little cold hearted. I'm going to die alone. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm going to die alone. Everybody thinks they're going to die with their family surrounding them. Sad music going. Oh, Father. Father, thank you for the years that you sacrificed, that you shoveled shit, and you, you made ends meet. 
and you met the bills and the obligations as you're dying in the bed. Your kids are going to write you a letter. Oh, Father, if it wasn't for you, I'd be out here in these streets. Father, you were the most inspirational man that I've ever seen. Every day you got up for work, every day you put on your suit and tie, every single day you did it, and you provided me with education and opportunities and tutoring. You did this, and I'm going to do what? I'm going to inherit your fortune. And I'll make great use of it. I won't squander it. Father, thank you very much. Your lovely wife is going to come in. Honey, thank you. You were the only man that I ever let pipe me down. And I will let no man pipe me down in the future. Forever, my peace leave will be fitted with your salami. And you are the best man in ever in life. Right? <laughs> That's how you think you're going to die. That's how you think you're going to die. <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to die alone, bro. You just going to, your wife going to be like, 911, come scoop his ass up. All right, put him in the meat wagon. Check the life insurance. Let's go party. All right. That, you, you're lucky if you get that. You're lucky. You're going to take that dirt nap. Anyway, and they're going to be at the life insurance office desk, pounding on the desk. Well, let me see the papers. Let me see the papers. Cut the check. Cut the check. All right. How are we going to bury his ass? Man, put his ass in the incinerator and throw his ashes out in the middle of the ocean. Who gives a damn about him? <laughs> All right. Anyway, put him in the meat wagon and let's get this damn show on the road. All right. We got vacations to take care of. Shout out to Albert Ingram says, you are like a father to us young black men out here. Appreciate that. Do you believe what you believe that there are mothers that take their young black sons away from their fathers, they intentionally do it. And then complain later that the son never had men around. All right. They fight them for custody. <laughs> You're like, wait a minute. Uh, we're changing the narrative to make people understand the narrative of the dad left is false. It's a myth, right? They've, they wrangled and wrangled. They wriggled and wrangled their, these kids away from the father, or they made the custody so much so that it was, they were completely contentious with the father the entire time. And the father said, hell with all that. All right. And so, unfortunately, we have to be the pseudo uncle, cousin, father, big brother to you. And they don't want you to listen to us. Isn't that weird, too? So when men do step up and provide information that the father should have, they cut us off. They're like, no, we don't want y'all to know this. They want you to be disposable slaves. You're disposable as far as they're concerned. All right. And I don't want you to be disposable. Shout out to Edward A. We're going to call you for your stream. Oh, Pamela, Pamela Anderson is Hall of Fame level. Man, that was a while ago. Shout out to Pamela. Pamela Anderson. I don't remember that one. High image status, low gen wealth says it is worth it to be. Is it worth it to be the first in your family? Is it worth it to be the first in your family free agent? You mean the first person? That is wealthy. It could be. It could be. But a lot of men, we, we're going to show you statistics. A lot of men have been the first person that was wealthy in their family, and they didn't have knowledge of self. They didn't have knowledge of finance. They didn't know. And, and then their mother and their mother and father and their cousins robbed them blind. Okay. So that's what you have to be. This is why you have to have 
you know, keep your veins cold, as Mr. Palmer says. When you get rich, you, you need to be Scrooge McDuck. All right. I'm Scrooge McDuck of this mug. Remember Scrooge McDuck, DuckTales? I'm Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> All right. That's what I do around here. I ain't trying to share with nobody's ass. Not a handout. Turner Tassel says, rich mentor gave me asset gain to set up kids for life. Shout out to you for that one. And that's where a lot of you guys will become, get your best information is through your network of rich men who can see your hustle and they'll give you game. Shout out to Simon Small. All right, I appreciate you for being here. And Mr. Shabazz says, big ups to the notorious CGA blue chip mindset. We in here. All right, we in here. Let me get on with the show. All right, so let's let's talk about this here. We're going to talk about it. Uh, many millionaires are being made right now, and many people are becoming extremely, extremely poor. Many of you guys are being pushed through agendas. You're being played with and manipulated, but it's not new. It's nothing new. Governments and, and the clergy and all of these people have done it for centuries. There's nothing new under the sun, guys. These people, I mean, if you study history, they've been doing this to you for quite a while especially in the United States, under the illusion of freedom. Many of you guys don't see freedom for about 40, 50, 60 hours in a particular week in which you are an indentured servant and probably a debt slave. But it's okay. All right, enjoy your freedom when you have it on the weekends, all right? <laughs> Weekend warrior ass people. Which most of you guys squander your wealth that you worked hard for sitting your ass at the bar at the nightclub, but that's neither here or there. Uh, when it comes down to these agendas, uh, essentially, what they do is they guilt you or they manipulate you into possibly voting for them. And once they get in there, they start to do dirt. Um, and particularly this administration, what their hook is, is to push in their Green New Deal. All right. And so the original New Deal pushed in by FDR. All right. What they did was they manipulated people to believe that they're going to be, you know, hope for the future. And particularly Democrat, FDR was a Democrat. He pushed the New Deal forward, which was very disenfranchising to black landowners, especially in the South. A lot of black landowners got finessed out of their land due to the Green New Deal. And it pushed in uh, a new ownership and a new land grant uh, process in which the land was funneled to other people, mostly non-black. And you lost out on it. You got hooked. Uh, you got bamboozled all right, out of it. And so what the Green New Deal is doing is they're raising the costs of things that you depended on so they can push in their, whatever they want to call it, their, their, their environmental stuff. And then they're encouraging you uh, by saying you can't afford the gas and they're making you think, well, maybe I'll buy an electric car. All right. So, I mean, this is what they're doing. I mean, they're doing it blatantly. They're just basic. They're basically raising the gas to unreasonable heights. And then they're making you think for a second, well, I will just buy an electric car. Without you even thinking of the consequences of the resources of electricity, you're like, well, but it's going to make sense to you and you're going to do it. All right. Because most people are going to do it because you're a sheeple, you're lemmings. You know what I mean? Like you're knuckle draggers and mouth breathers. I mean, if you if you're having that conversation, you're a lemming. <laughs> if the conversation you're having right now is damn gas is going to be nine dollar. I'm going to buy a forty thousand dollar electric vehicle. You got to be the biggest ham and egger out there. All right. But I listen, I've heard these conversations in grocery store lines. You know what I mean? I'm sitting there like, damn, you are a normie for sure. You got to be a big normie. They're like, wait, 40 grand, 50 grand, 
50 grand versus eight dollars in gas. Oh my god damn boy. But hey, not everybody is a free thinker. Not everybody's a free thinker. But uh anyway, <laughs> it is what it is, NPC ass people. But you know, whatever you need to do to patch your way through, because what you're what you're doing essentially is saying, I don't believe in myself enough to increase my income, or my income uh potential of increasing is limited. So I got to do something way out of the ordinary to avoid the $8, $9 gas, right? You know, I understand. You're not going to make more money and you don't see any more money being made. You're going to complain that says salaries and, and, and income aren't rising. So as a result, I'll buy a $50,000 car. Okay. <laughs> All right. And most people don't want Priuses. They're going to want something nice. They're going to want a Tesla. They're going to want the electric G-Wagon and the electric Porsche. They're going to want something nice. They're not going to get a Prius. They're going to get something nice. And that's what you're falling for. But it's okay. These agendas are nothing new. It's not bring political. Uh, with that being said, let's show you something here. Another bit of data here. Let's go to the next slide. Next slide. Let's talk about marriage and divorce and how it impacts your generational wealth. So uh, maybe you're a knuckle dragger and you want to get married. And you see this as a way to build generational wealth because, listen, the best way to build wealth is together. You have two people that are on one accord. You guys produce children, and you can pass that wealth down to those children. But the problem is with divorce and the risk of divorce is so high, many of you guys are going to threaten your intergenerational wealth. It's going to derail you right here. It says it right here. I don't know if you guys can see it. We'll go ahead and put it up here. If you get a divorce, it says right here, divorce can derail. Family wealth affecting generations far beyond one couple. I, I am amazed at the amount of things that I say without even reading these things. I can I can say this and then I will find the evidence. You know, I mean, it might be some of the one of those things where you find the evidence of whatever you believe. There's something related to that. You can always find the evidence for something you believe and disregard evidence against it. Help clients to protect their wealth by eliminating these four divorce risks. I've always said a divorce is like breaking the space-time continuum or at least fracturing it, which means in effect that if you get a divorce, it's like a death in your family. It's worse than a death, which means when you get the divorce and you separate the home and these co-parenting households, which are fraudulent, by the way, co-parenting doesn't work, but they just don't want to tell you that. Um. When it happens, you absolutely, it's like, it's like breaking the future. You've affected future generations because the timeline was you to, for you to continue together and build the family into grandkids, great-grandkids, great-great-great-great-great, all the way down the line. But when people divorce, they just see it as, hey, me and them broke up and the kids won't be affected. Oh, they're going to be affected and you're going to be affected and your future generations are going to be affected and the wealth is going to be affected. Absolutely. But people are too selfish to recognize this. And so here's what they're going to talk about here. It says right here, unsheltered generational wealth could be lost. This is a risk for divorce, especially if you're trying to build wealth. Um, everybody knows that child support is a wealth um, prevents you from building any wealth. As long as you're on the child support system for five years or better, there's no way you're going to build wealth. You can't get ahead. You absolutely cannot get ahead. All right. 
You, you absolutely cannot get ahead. Your finances will be handcuffed. If you're on for 10 years, you're going to go into debt. You're going to go into poverty. Many times you can't keep up with the payments. And as a result, you'll never build wealth. If you do get a pay increase, you're probably going to have to get a modification. And you'll be taken in constantly through, through the courts and having your pockets pat down. Here it is right here. Unintended beneficiaries could gain control. All right. So you 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 get a divorce and you intend it for the money to go here. But because of the divorce, the spouse gets a hold of the money or, or the life insurance. And because you're not on one accord, everybody else benefits. But your kids, the spouse gets a hold of the money, uh, fumbles the bag. Let me just tell you, they fumble the bag. Most women will say, no, we'll save for the money and we'll build. Well, most women don't say, dude, they don't save for money. Uh, they don't even save the child support for the future. Once the child support runs out, that's it. That's it for the kid. And then they want to disregard the kid or find a way to get keep uh, patting the, the father's pockets now uh, through guilt and shame. Women use guilt and shame to get men to pay up. It's one of the most despicable things about them is that they will do dastardly things to you or they won't hold up their end to the, of the bargain, but they still think you should fork over the money. They won't even talk to you until it's time to fork over money. Well, I know I know, I don't qualify for this money, but you still should do it because kids, right? Or because it's what you should do, or it's because you're helping me out, or it's because you, guys, you got to keep your veins cold on this. Do not give them the money. Say, kiss my ass. I know people can't do this, and some of you lemmings and ham and egger men can't do it. You can't tell them to kiss your ass because you're going to feel like, well, I'll be a bad parent if I don't just fork over the money. I want to save my reputation. You know what they think of your reputation anyway? They don't give a damn about your reputation. They're just using shame for you to fork over the money, you goofball. Okay? I have a prime example of this. I have two examples of this. Sorry to go off subject. I'm going to think I actually know a good example, and I just forgot it. An example they will use on this one. Um, they will get child support orders. I'll give you this example. They will get child support orders in which the state is basically saying, this is the only obligation you have to the children because she's taking you to the court. You don't have, this is what you're, this is what you're required to pay as parentage. <laughs> now she'll get the order and then come back to you with her handout going, well, this don't cover it. I'm sorry. I don't owe you any more money. Make it work. You fool. You took me to court. You shouldn't have took me down to court, all right, because I might have negotiated a little bit more. Or many times, many men, many men are paying more than the order that she got from the court. Many men are paying more, like the man's paying for private school, the man's paying for clothes, the man paying for haircuts. The man's not keeping track of everything he pays for. She's keeping track of everything she pays for. And then the, when it comes up to kid has little league, Kid needs a uniform. Kid has a fundraiser. Kid needs shoes. Then she goes on her time because she's wrangled custody away. She goes, maybe you owe me for half of this stuff. Be a man and pay for half of the stuff. And you're saying, well, the court ordered me to pay $750. Well, that doesn't cover it. <laughs> well, that's what the court said I need to pay. And then they next call you a deadbeat. The kids grow up thinking you're a deadbeat because when they come to you and say, well, I need shoes. And you say, well, get it from your child support. They call you a deadbeat. 
And you're like, I'm not a deadbeat. I paid her the $750. She needs to make it work. So these are the things that derail your wealth, because not only do you fork over the court order money, then you're saying, well, as a man, I should pay more. I should do this. I should do that. Well, you should. And but what they should do is not interfere with your parentage. But they ain't doing that, are they? So they don't get no more money. <laughs> so that's how it goes. And I keep my veins cold. I keep my veins cold. Why? Because I got to protect my self-interest. They're protecting their self-interest. I protect my self-interest, and that's how it goes. So um, these things here uh, is how it works here. There's even sugar babies that try this stuff on you. They'll give you a couple pieces of peace leave, and then you'll have an agreement, and then they'll show up. Oh, I can't make it right now, but can you give me a little bit of help? Wait, broad. The deal was for you to have your 10 toes up and your knees pent, but you didn't do that this week, did you? You didn't do it this week, did you? But you still want me to fork over? What are you talking about? <laughs> this is how women work, and they use shame and sorrow and sob stories to get you. They use these sob stories to get you, and you fall for it. So what you have to do as a man is to understand that your reputation is going to get dragged no matter what. You're going to get dragged no matter what. So might as well let them drag with a purpose. Let them drag with a purpose. Drag me if you want. If you want to go out there and be the hero, go ahead and be the hero. If you want to make me look like the deadbeat, go ahead and let it be a deadbeat. I'm not going to budge because I have to protect me and my self-interest and my future. I'm not going to let you keep destroying it through shame. So here it is right here. Here it is. Bam. And you say, God damn. It says right here, risk number three, an ex-spouse, ex-spouse's death could destabilize a family. Um, this could happen as well, especially if they die without their paperwork in order. And it could be a gap in it could be a gap in your ability to support your kids. I mean, my ex-spouse almost died. And uh, that would have been a tremendous, uh, tremendous blow to me in the future of our children. She didn't. But um, if that happens, it could cost you a lot. If the father dies. It could cost you a lot if they're depending on child support or depending on his uh, his shame to be obligated to continue to fund the lifestyle while being drugged and called a deadbeat. If he dies, then that could be it for the family. Uh, divorce can mean death of a family business. So here's the risks of all of these things here. So you want to build a legacy, but divorce is so prevalent in our society that let's just say you had a family business and you got divorced. It can implode your business and you cannot pass an imploded business on to your children. Now, I'm going to give you an example of this right here. The Los Angeles Lakers, if you study the history of the Los Angeles Lakers, uh, Jerry Buss bought the this is a, I, this is goes. This is a generational wealth conversation. This is not Jerry rest. This is Jim Buss. This is Jer, uh, sorry. This is not Jerry Buss. This is Jim Buss. This is the son of the former owner, Jerry Buss. He bought the Lakers from Jack Kent Cook, who also owned the Washington Redskins at the time. And Jack Kent Cook had to sell the Lakers because he was going through a divorce. Okay. If anybody researched the story, Jack Kent Cook had to unload the Lakers 
in the 1970s to Jerry Buss because of a divorce, okay? Now, Jerry Buss ran the Lakers through the Showtime era, and Jerry was the father of the patriarch. He had two boys and a daughter named Jeannie, which we'll get to in a minute. Jim and his brother got reins of the organization, and he became vice president. Um, and Jim Buss, if you look at here, they're trying to do a comparison between Jeannie Buss's ownership, which has not been very long, and the Jim Buss era. And if you look here, the Jim Buss era from 05 to 2017, the Lakers won three consecutive NBA, or they went to consecutive NBA finals. They won back-to-back -back titles. And they had several 50-plus game uh, uh, win, wins and a couple of 65 wins uh, seasons. And then after that, the wheels fell off. And they essentially, let's see if I have this on this slide here. What they did was they had an inside coup, which was a hostile takeover, and they put Genie Bus in charge. So Magic Johnson and a lot of people on the inside orchestrated in, in a coup, which was a, a, a hostile takeover of the Lakers franchise, and they asserted Genie Bus, a woman, as the figurehead leader and the leader, which is Jerry Buss's daughter, as the leader of the Lakers, in which, in this time, Jeannie Buss has won one championship, and that was the bubble championship with LeBron James, and it hasn't done very much from, from that, all right? so But it's too early to tell how the future of the Lakers are going to be, but the Lakers' worth as a franchise, as of today, is $5.5 billion. Now, Jerry Buss purchased this probably for less than $3 million back in the day. It was, uh, it was he, he used land and a couple of other things that he owned to purchase it. So as a generational wealth conversation, Jerry Buss's initial investment, although he was went through a divorce, he was playing the field, his initial investment turned into a $5.5 billion net worth today. And I would venture to say by the purchase of the Broncos this week, this is probably a $10 billion franchise today. Okay, this is probably a $10 billion franchise. So Jerry Buss' original, original purchase has extended, even though the Lakers have been not a stable franchise, even though the Buss boys, they won a couple of championships. They haven't really done much in the last 20 years of the, of the era. The Lakers franchise is worth much more. And Jeannie Buss, the daughter, was able to become the vice president of the organization which is a generational wealth uh, conversation, right? Isn't that incredible? It's absolutely incredible. Now, let's go to this part. Since we're talking about sports and I have your attention, hit the like button. Let's talk about the Denver Broncos. So the Denver Broncos, in which people are talking about John Elway, took an L, which we'll have to explain. The Denver Broncos were purchased or scheduled to be purchased by who? An heir of the Walmart franchise which this is a generational wealth conversation yet again rob walton whose father i don't know his name off the top of my head <laughs> all right mr walton started the walmart company somewhere in arkansas somewhere um he was able to get ahead and purchase this through family generational wealth at a record setting price he didn't pay the entire amount at a record-setting price of, I believe, $4.5 billion. Sam Walton, sorry. 
Mr. Sam. All right, I, I forget about Sam Walter. You know I'm bad with names here. So they purchased the Denver Bronco franchise for some four, um, four billion dollars. And they're saying right here, Walton, who is the son of Walmart founder Sam Walton, has an estimated net worth of $65 billion. According to Forbes, he's the 19th richest person in the world. And because of that, it's going to make it nearly impossible for anyone to outbid him. According to the Nine News in Denver, the final purchase price for the Broncos is expected to be $4.65 billion. And if that does end up being the final number, it will shatter the record for the most money ever paid for a sports franchise in the United States, which was previously held by the New Jersey Brooklyn Nets at $2.35 billion. So by that, every franchise has been become more, more valuable because of this purchase. This is how sports works. This is how business works. Because this value is $4.6 billion for the Denver Broncos. I can probably say the Lakers net worth just went up to $10 billion. Okay. Now, with that being said, if people are saying generational wealth is a scam or a myth, I've just gave you several examples that generational wealth is not a scam. You've just seen sons and daughters and people of extended generations being able to benefit from the generational wealth. That has been started by one man. Now, we're going to get into a conversation after I do these chats about people who have squandered generational wealth and how they squandered it. Okay, we're going to talk about that. And if your goal is to get generational wealth for your family, are you preparing your heirs to make properly to make good decisions? We're going to talk about tangible ways to pass off generational wealth or intangible ways to pass off generational wealth. If that's your goal. All right, here we go. Somebody says, look up the Steinbrenners. They're similar too. Uh, they still own and operate. By the way, the people who have gotten to sports franchises from the 1970s and on have been primarily families. Not so much conglomerate corporations, but because of these values of the franchises are so hefty now, they have to put together groups in order to purchase sports. And many of these times, there'll be groups of 20, 30 people. If I remember, the Golden State Warriors were purchased by a group of many, and many of these people were um, Silicon Valley millionaires, if not billionaires. And these groups are like stockholders, right? But before, um, there's still families that own franchises. You're thinking about the Dallas Cowboys. It's a family show. Um, the New York Giants the Los Angeles Lakers, many of these franchises are still owned by families, right? The Pittsburgh Steelers, all right? Now, that'll change in maybe maybe 50 years. Maybe 50 years, um, th that'll change in these groups. Once these families get a, three or four generations in, they'll sell to a big conglomeration. But still right now, still right now, these these franchises are owned by families. And this is why it's so hard to get the franchises to do whatever they want to do in terms of racial. Cause they're like, they should be more black owners. I mean, get a black family to purchase a team, which there were black owners that purchased the team. It's just hard to do it. Like the Charlotte Bobcats, the franchise was owned by Robert jo Bob Johnson, Bob Johnson of BET. But unfortunately because of a divorce, he had to sell the Charlotte Bobcats. All right, let me give him an L for that. 
then he divorced and his wife ended up becoming the owner of a couple of like a WNBA franchise. And she also owned several, several other things. And then she married the judge who were proceeded over her divorce. She married the judge. She married the judge. Do you guys know that, right? Bob Johnson, who owned the Bobcats because of the divorce, had to sell the Bobcats. And she became an owner of a WNBA franchise. And she married the judge who proceeded over her divorce. Let me do it again. <laughs> I did a video of that. I did a video of that on my main channel because I did a video of it years ago. I just posted it again last couple of weeks. Um, guys, divorce is evil. And they will play dirty with you, and then they'll expect you to have a heart. Oh, but, but, but support the kid. No, man. <laughs> anyway, man, I it, uh, the judge, man, crazy. She married the judge. All right, so it's crazy. Uh, if anybody wants evidence of that, I'll pop it up real quick. Let me do the chats. Let me see here. Bob Johnson, wife, judge, wife. Judge, here it is. Right, let me see here. Uh, let's see here. I'll pop this up as evidence. And these are the, the despicable things they do to you as men. Sheila Johnson marrying very well. The billionaire's first wedding cost $50. She was a wait a minute. Why are we doing all of this? It says right here. Oh, oh, here it is. This is the proof. Uh, the billionaire's first wedding cost $50. She was a cheerleader at the University of Illinois. So she got the chapel uh, and our doors for free. She made her dress herself from a McCall A-line idiot-proof pattern. I don't know what's that. 33 years later, that marriage had dissolved. And last night, uh, and last night, Sheila Crump Johnson, who made her fortune with her ex-husband as co-founders of the BET cable network, married the honorable... William T. Newman Jr., the Arlington judge who presided over her divorce. Okay. This is the stuff <laughs> that you guys do not know. And when it happens to you, nobody ever, nobody ever makes a big deal of this, right? Nobody ever. And then they say, oh, that's just a one-off. Oh, don't worry about that. That is crazy, man. I tell you, man, that's one of the most despicable things that I've ever read. And people will disconnect. Well, they were they were already divorced, so it don't matter. I'm like, he was he was winking at her like this during the whole trial. <laughs> I mean, dastardly. Somebody says sounds illegal. Yeah, hey, but it's a wealth transfer. But what can you do? I'm pretty sure he was pissed about it, but where are we at here? Shout out to B. Scott. I'm trying not to say government names here. He says, Coach, thanks for the inspiration to get off of the plantation. I dropped everything, including my long-term relationship, to get out of the small town in Georgia and move to Tejas, Texas, for an economic opportunity I've never had in my life. I'm currently making the long 15-hour drive right now. Today is the start of my free agent lifestyle, and the blue-chip mindset is real, and I'll prove it to you and myself. Thanks again. Congratulations to you, man. If you think you're on the path, that you need to be on and you eliminated all the dead weight you're on that path congratulations to you and good luck to your start i know the grass is greener and the sky is bluer 
and the clouds are yellow, uh, whiter, and the sun is yellow, golden crisp. Billy the Kid says John Elf Elway was offered 10% stake of the Broncos years ago. He didn't take it. Uh, think they are valued at $4 billion now. Mm. So he's out of a job. And so with that, I, I'm wondering with that. Oh, okay. I see what happened. So he, why did he turn it down? <laughs> why did he turn it down? That's an L. Because on the sale, he would have made it back, right? He would have made it back tenfold. Wow, why did he not take that? I'm I'm very curious as to see why he didn't take that deal. Right. I'm that that's confusing to me. I want to know more about that. I'm gonna have to research that. John Elway. He got to be kicking himself this morning. Warhammer. Warhammer says, Warhammer, something for the junior college and the flatbacks. That's and or the fallbacks, but we call them the flatbacks over here. We got a couple more here. Uh, this is from uh, I can't remember what your name is, but we'll call you Mr. Mo. It's something Mo. He says, speaking of dying, I had a scumbag aunt who was on life support in her final days. My good aunt asked if we can do an assisted self-deletion for her sister, who she hates for good reason. But my big bro, who is a lawyer, corporate compliance, insurance claims, and CFA Chad, told the good aunt that assisted self-deletion is not allowed in Hong Kong, yet that is dying and family for you. He says, wow. So, um, wow. He says, lastly, speaking of generational wealth, there's an old Chinese saying, quote, the first generation made the fortune, the, sec the second generation spends the fortune, and the third generation loses the fortune. All right. Always keep on spreading the RPs out here. That data, what you just said, we're going to read a statistic on it, and you're somewhat right. That Chinese proverb or that Chinese saying is somewhat right uh, about generational wealth. And does that scare you? Does that scare you out of generational wealth, the conversation? Uh, we'll look at the statistic. Adrian Paul, the Hunt family owns the Chiefs in FC Dallas under the Hunt Sports Group. The Royals are now owned by a group of 20 to 30 people, but used to be the Glass family. Shout out to you and the coach gang. Thank you. So the Hunt family owns the, yeah. And they've owned it since the 60s. Okay. And they are probably not going to let it go. But we just talked about their own, their worth being in the four billions. And I'm sure it's a lot more now because of the purchase of the team, of the Broncos, and they're a winning franchise right now. Let me do a, a, a couple more. Uh, you can exclude my last name. Love the blue chip series. And this is from Kevin took your advice for a few episodes ago and moved out of my home state. Thank you for all that you do and continue to push the message of self-improvement forward. Congratulations on you. And as I say, onward and upward, move forward in life. Don't be afraid to move forward in life, right? Because a lot of people will want you to uh, be be back in the past where they're stuck. What will we see about the Raiders? We will see about the, the Raiders. Uh, Mark Davis is going to get pushed out of ownership of the Raiders, by the way. The NFL is going to push him out. So they're, they're going to be owned by a group. And that record sale will be billions. The Raiders will sell for billions because they're in Vegas and you have all the gambling. They'll, they'll probably sell for $8 billion and they'll push Mark Davis out. He'll get his money. But that'll be it. It'll be kind of like what happened to the Clippers owner. But uh, with that being said, with that being said, uh, don't let people keep you back and stuck in their 
their misery. All right. You might have an ex or an ex-spouse or an ex-girlfriend that's constantly dragging you back, a baby mama, a family member, a mother, a family, uh, 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 your family in general. And they're stuck in their ways. Let them be stuck in their ways. Uh, don't continue to fight them in the mud, especially if you're moving forward. If you're moving forward and they're standing still, all right, um, let them move forward. Even if it's you're going to lose something, you're always going to lose, guys, something. You got to give up something. And every step that you take, you got to be willing to lose something. Yeah, they'll push Daniel Snyder out, too. They, they'll definitely they're trying to push him out, too. But I think the Raiders will also be the fallout in that. Because that Daniel Snyder was connected to the John Gruden debacle. So they'll push Snyder out. They'll push Mark Davis out. And that'll be that. All right. Shout out to Todd C. Two invoice sent out this week. He's going to join the member stream soon. Congratulations, man. Make that money. Last couple. Kirby H. Thank you. You are pe the people's dad. I'm the people's dad. And that's you. You're the people's champion over here. J-Flow, if you're learning, then you're winning. Shout out to you and the coach gang. Thanks for being here. All right, Timothy A, appreciate you. All right, so, sorry for the government name. Every Walker, BCM is my favorite streams coach. Hashtag free agent for life. All right, so let me go back to some data and information here. Now we're going to talk about this, squandering fortunes. Here's five huge lies about generational wealth. All right, five huge lies. This is according to Yahoo, by the way. But we're going to read that data that uh, Chairman Mo gave us. Look at this number right here. So we look at these numbers. Look at these numbers. It says here, generation, generational wealth lasts forever. That's a myth, according to this article here. Smart investments and money management skills are not always passed down with wealth. A staggering 70% of wealthy families lose their wealth by the next generation. 70%. So you work hard for your money. 70% of the wealthy families lose all of their wealth by the next generation. With 90% losing it in the generation after that. Is it Chairman Mao or Mo? So, wow. So a lot of these conversations we're having about putting your kids in a good situation doesn't always work out if they don't have the intangibles that you passed on. And what are the intangibles? If they don't have the education, the proper education, if they don't have the proper financial education, if they don't have good habits as a as a workhorse. Right. If they don't have good habits on their spending, if they don't have good values as a people, if you've been in a divorce and even though you're wealthy. <clears throat> you could lose all of your money. If you probably pass your generational wealth on to daughters, sorry to say, you're probably going to take an L. Let me just explain that real quick because everybody's going to say, what? You're going to bring sexism into this? Well, let me tell you a story real quick. There's a man called the Commodore. Who's the Commodore? Mr. Vanderbilt. All right, let me see here. Commodore where the Commodore comes from, Commodore Vanderbilt. Let's go ahead and study his particular wealth. Uh, let's see here. I'm going to see here. Let's see here. I got to pull this up. Sorry, took me some time. I meant to pull it up, and I did not. Yeah, uh, 
how the Vanderbilt family lost their fortune. All right, so Commodore Vanderbilt. I always what, what's it, uh, his first name is uh his first name is Cornelius Vanderbilt, also known as the Commodore. Had about one hundred million dollars of fortune throughout his life. In today's value, that would be around two point five billion dollars. When he passed away in January of 1877, he left 95% of his family, I'm sorry, of his money to his eldest son, William Henry Vanderbilt. $95 million equates to an estimated $2.1 billion. The eldest son doubled the money he received for the next 10 years of his life. He doubled it. He managed to be the wealthiest during that time. This is wild to me, slightly more uh, cash than I have. But then again, my goal, okay. And he says, as of the other children of Cornelius Vanderbilt, he left a small fortune for them to inherit. And the following years, and for the following years, William Henry Vanderbilt's children spent almost all the fortune he made from the Commodore's inheritance. This was their castle. The Vanderbilts were one of the richest people in the history of America. Says right here, let's discuss the setbacks. All right. So one of the most um, egregious setbacks here, let's see here. After 30 years, he says, after 30 years since Cornelius Vanderbilt died in 1877, the following generations of the family hit rock bottom. It doesn't matter that the Commodore had left an enormous fortune for the family. None of the descendants maintained the wealth in the end. Nobody from the Vanderbilt family made it into the wealthiest people in the United States. And this was 130 something years ago maybe 160, when 120 members of the Vanderbilt household gathered at the Vanderbilt University for their first family reunion in 1973, 100 years later, none of them even had a million uh, fortune left. None. It says right here, it is surprising to know that most the most uh, enormous fortune came to Vanderbilt's family, yet they did not even end up as millionaires in the end. The fortune that the Commodore made during his life and passed down to his children went down the drain. <laughs> Curious to know that you guys actually know one of the descendants of the Commodore. There's people that still um, exist here. And one of the descendants of the Commodore of the Vanderbilt fortune is this man right here. And you say, ah, that's odd. <laughs> Anderson Cooper. He's a member of the media. Anderson Cooper is a descendant of the Vanderbilt fortune. Well, of the decline of the Vanderbilt fortune. His mother, I believe, is Gloria Vanderbilt. And she squandered millions of dollars. Okay. He squandered, I'm sorry, she squandered millions and millions of dollars while he was a child. And this thus explains some of his demeanors and the way he ended up, all right? And he watched his mom squander millions and millions of dollars. And she was one of the last wealthiest Vanderbilt members. Somebody said, how much did she inherit? Um, let me see, how much did Gloria, I think her name was Gloria Vanderbilt. Yeah, here it is. Okay, let me pull it up. How much did she inherit? Uh, let's see here. They just talk about how much she 
Okay, um, she died with $1.5 million. Anderson Cooper inherited the $1.5 million um, that was left, and he even has an article saying he won't leave son his son. They have a son, him and his boyfriend or husband. He says he won't leave his son any inheritance. This is common of people who came from squandered inheritances. So let me see here. Uh, Gloria Vanderbilt, it says right here, she had a trust fund. I'm sorry, it's, it's right here. She struck out on her own and parlayed a $4 million trust fund she received when she turned 18, and she turned it into a $100 million fashion empire. So she squandered $100 million. All right, that's what she did. All right, $100 million. Do you guys see this or no? Oh, you guys don't see this. 100 million, essentially. So she had a $4 million trust fund. She invested it, I don't know, in some fashion. I don't know if she's related to some fashion. And she squandered 100 million. I'm sorry, almost, wait. Yeah, 100 million at least. And he was left with 1.5 million. He says, I don't know what I'll have. He thinks he'll have $200 million. And he says right here, I want to show you this because this is the conversation we're having today. Anderson Cooper, who believes he'll have somewhat an essence of $200 million, says he won't leave his son any of his inheritance. All right. And this is common of what current people are doing with their generational wealth. There's a group and somebody can remember the group for me. A lot of people are saving their money. Bill Gates, they're saving their money for a group that I believe is headed by um, the great investor. Why is his name slipping my mind? Who's the great investor? Uh, uh, blah, blah, blah. Gosh dang. Um, hold on for a second. <laughs> I'm going to say William. Oh, hold on for a second. Not, no, 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 no. Warren Buffett. Sorry. I'm like William. So Warren Buffett has a foundation called the Giving Pledge. I don't know if you guys know this. This is a generational wealth conversation. The Giving Pledge. Oh, let's pull this up. The Giving Pledge. I'm sorry, what? The Giving Pledge is a philanthropic philanthropic group that I believe um, Warren Buffett created. <laughs> and essentially, a lot of the richest people on earth right now, when they die, they're going to give a massive amount of their fortune to the Giving Pledge. All right. And so I can pull up evidence for this just so you know. Now, this is no different than what Andrew Carnegie and uh, the people like John D. Rockefeller did later in their lives. They created foundations in which they then were able to do what? Make choices about education, train people on education. They donated a lot of their money, millions and millions of dollars to educational programs. They eventually um were were responsible for creating textbooks for many of the uh, for many of the school districts in which you were educated by via research from these foundations. All right, these foundations created the textbooks that you guys are educated from. They not only created these textbooks, they probably uh, created the curriculum in which you learn from. All right, and so when you learn things, you're learning from the philanthropic efforts of the Rockefellers 
and the Carnegie's and whatever. And so whatever information they wanted to impute into your brain to make you the best employee or the best cog for their industrial revolutionary based plans, this is how you learn. I don't know if you know that. So when you get a book and they say slavery was this, slavery was that, it is based on the research of the foundations of the Rockefellers and the, the Carnegie's and whatever. That's their research. It's not research that is like been conducted by people who are don't have a motive. They literally tell you how to do things. And these were the people who were, this is where the money went. This is called indoctrination and power, by the way. So the giving pledge, uh, so, so the giving pledge right here, let me see if I can pull this up. Uh, people, let me see here, donors of the giving pledge. Many people are not going to leave their kids any money anymore because they know they know that um, that their kids are going to squander it. And what they're going to do is they're going to give their kids, they're going to give the giving pledge the money and the giving pledge are going to be responsible for all the philanthropic efforts in the next 200 years. All right, so let's take a look here. Uh, uh, sorry to educate you for a moment, but this must be done. Thy will be done. Let's see here. Uh, anybody who don't believe what I'm talking about, <laughs> I know these are the so-called elites that people talk about, but this is how they conduct the business. They make it seem like, oh, we're just, we're giving away the money through philanthropic efforts to help people, to educate them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Here it is right here. The giving pledge turns 10, 10 years old, according to this article written here in 2020. These billionaires pledged to give away half of their wealth, but they also, uh, but they soon ran into a problem. I wonder what that problem is. But here are the billionaires that are going to give half their wealth to the giving pledge. Bill Gates, Mackenzie Bezos, or Mackenzie Scott Bezos, uh, Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, who is this man? Ma Michael Bloomberg. And so these people have recognized that there's more power and influence by doing what? Giving away their money through these philanthropic efforts that will future, that will future help establish an order. He says here, um, I guess Elon Musk, it says Elon Musk, no, Jeff Bezos. One notable exception to the list of the giving pledge signers, the world's richest individual, Jeff Bezos. It looks like Jeff Bezos pulled out of the giving pledge, right? He's like, I'm out. All right, but these are the people who will don't, I mean, Mark Zuckerberg, these people are worth billions and billions of dollars. And so it's a tax break and it's a, and it's a, it's, um, they also get to not pass their wealth on to their children who are going to squander it, right? What a, what an interesting conversation that we're having today, but you're learning, but feeling, uh, but uh, the art of philanthropy in the in our recent time has been mastered through um, has been mastered through the the acts of uh, John D. Rockefeller, the Kennedy Foundation, and all these people. By the way, these foundations also always benefit when the new law is passed to pass off shekels to you guys. Like when the last time they gave you a, um, I'm just educating here. Bear with me for a second. The last time you were given your $1,600 stimulus check, they also gave money to some of these foundations 
namely the Kennedy Foundation. Uh, let me just pull that up really quick. Let me look at that. Kennedy Foundation uh, money from money from money from the um, what do they call it? Stimulus. Let me see here. Here it is right here. Just so you guys know. And so uh, what happens is you got $1,600 and the Kennedy Foundation received $270 million at the same time. All right. And paid their president $5.5 million since 2016. So here's how these things work. So not only do they get tax breaks, the Kennedy Center, which is part of these foundations right here, while you got $1,600, they got $270 million. I mean, isn't that, that's absolutely weird, bro. I mean, to me, in a, in a world where, right here, let me see here, and it included $42 million in grants. And last year, $25 million uh, coronavirus earmark that mostly used for payroll. Jesus. Even during the 2020 pandemic, the center grew their net uh, assets by $3.3 million to $505 million. Yo, man, that, to me, to me, man, I'm telling you, bro. I'm telling you, it's it's how the world works. And it goes largely missed by ham and eggers, by knuckle draggers. You guys miss it. I mean, I see it all the time. And I know people stop being political, but this is not a political conversation. This is an economic conversation. I'm watching these things happen in real time and nobody's saying anything. But the problem is you can't do anything about it. They move the money around to do whatever they need to do. And then these people become more powerful and they lobby and then they do what with the money. They use it for philanthropic efforts to educate you. And then they also use it for mass media, maybe propaganda. I'm not sure to get their issues passed. I mean, it is what it is. You got to be in the circle. And if you ain't in the circle, you out. If you ain't John, uh, uh, George Carlin said, um, if you ain't in the group, he says that there's a big group and you ain't in it. Um, when it comes to when it comes to these presidents that are government officials, they become wealthy after their presidency. And they build libraries and foundations, Bill Clinton and the Clintons have a foundation. Uh, the Obamas have a foundation. They become extremely wealthy because these foundations become groups to push and lobby for whatever they want to lobby for. And many times when when aid is passed out to us. They pass it out to these foundations as well. All right. This is part of how it works. So anyway, I know this is getting too complicated. And this isn't something that I can get hurt for, for saying these things. This is public knowledge. All right. And I remember talking about, I said this when I, when it was passed, I read through the list, by the way, I believe some of these foundations also got money through the recent passing of the $32 billion to Ukraine. If I'm not mistaken, I, I, let me let me put it up as a fact. All right. Um, let me see. This might not be true, but we'll see. Foundations getting funds to Ukraine. Let me see here. Um, I guess more it says here they're they're pledging support uh, for the uh, Ukrainian effort here. Uh, yeah. These 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 men these people are more pledging support, but I have to do some more research on that. But with that being said, man, this is how money works. You know what I mean? You get taxed at a high rate, and then they able to avoid the tax structure, pass the money on, continue to lobby. 
But this is all a generational wealth category uh, uh, conversation. And I want you guys to know this information because this will affect you guys and your generations of people in the next 100 to 200 years. When they start pushing stuff and they're relentless and pushing in that direction and you have no voice, this is why they have millions of dollars behind these things that you signed for in desperation because you wanted $1,600. And then when you got your $1,600, you ran and spent it. And then they hiked up the gas. They hiked up the cost of groceries. You spent, I mean, you basically, that $1,600 was like, was like paper. It was paper thin. But these other people got $32 million, $345 million. All right. People became millionaires and you, and you spent 1600 bucks like it was nothing. But it's the way of the world, right? And you should be educated on this to see what's going on. Not that you can do anything about it, but you should say, what part of the program am I, I going to be on, right? Shout out to, shout out to, is it Emil? Emmy? Emil. Shout out to Emil says, thank you, coach. Bring, binging all the blue chip mindset videos. Shout out to you. Oh, if you guys wanted to know. The Blue Chip Mindset Series, all 29 episodes, is on a list here on my channel. And if you look in the description box, I have a link to the list of all the Blue Chip videos. So if you missed them and this is your first one, you can catch them all. And uh, we go into bringing big facts about money and understanding money. Uh, as they say, behind every great fortune lies a great crime. <laughs> if you want to be... A, far, a part of the fortunate few, many times you have to become part of a great crime, whether it is an illegal crime or a crime of trying to avoid taxation. That's It's legal, but it's somewhat of a crime against the people, right? You earn $450 million and pay zero taxes, but I earn $56,000 and I pay 40% taxes. That's somewhat criminal, right? And so behind every great fortune lies a great crime. And thus, if you have a moral compass, if you are a part of the people who've been conditioned by the clergy to forgive and forget and all of these things turn the other cheek and all of these things that you think the people with great fortunes follow, then you're in for a rude awakening. You're never going to be rich. You're never going to be rich. You got to have ice cold veins and you got to not care about people in poverty. You got to not care about people. You got to be willing to step over people when they dying. You know what I mean? You got to be willing to not help in order to keep your fortune growing. <laughs> I mean, that's all. Yeah. I know people think that's wrong, but it's what people do. And you're one day going to find yourself in the ability to great, create great fortune for yourself. And then your moral compass is going to come in here or you're going to come in here and say, well, I'm a moral person and your fortune is going to go. Bye bye. You're not willing to be rich. You're not willing to be rich. You're going to sidestep deals. You're going to, are you this type of person like this? Like you're like you're driving and it's time to merge. And then, you know, somebody wants to merge. They're slightly ahead of you. And you say, I'll let them merge in front of me. It's the right thing to do. And they merge in front of you and drive like a snail. And not only did they delay you, they delayed you further because they wanted to merge in. Now, what I do is smash the gas and say, odds are that person was going to delay my ass in their Toyota Prius. F all that. And I passed their ass up. Why? It, was the, it wasn't the right thing to do, but I wasn't going to let this jackass right, 
slow me down. Or same thing, you're both about to enter into a line at the grocery store. Here's your buggy. Here's the other person's buggy where you're both getting there right about the same time. But you go, oh, you can go ahead of me. And then when they get ahead of you, they want to write a check. Who's the name of the store? They want to send stuff back. Can you send that back? I want another bag of eggs. They got a full ass grocery cart. They got kids and you let them go and you had three items and you could have been in and out of there. Are you that type of person? If you're that type of person, you're not going to be rich. You ain't going to be rich. You ain't got what it takes. You ain't got a heart. You ain't got a cold heart. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But that's how it is. Now, if you were rich, that's something different. If you were already wealthy, sure, you can let people go, go on and go. All right. But if you're on your way to the top, nah, man, you got to be heartless out here. You can't be back here with your moral compass out here, uh, sweating in church like a pregnant nun. You can't be in there like that, sweating it out. You can't be afraid of all these that you can't be afraid. You got to be savage. And if you got if you're too hearted too too moral out here, it ain't going to work for you. It could work for some of you, but some of y'all ain't going to get it. Some of y'all ain't ready for it. You're not ready for this. XL Pro Services says be a hero to yourself. I'm sorry. This is cold hearted information. But uh, if you're trying to be a hero to humanity, but you're barely making it, it ain't going to work. There's no more Mother Teresa's. There's no more Mother Teresa's. There's Mother Twerker Teresa's out here. All right, Mother Teresa gets no more praise. Okay, people actually talked about this here on kind of the red pill stations. Oh, you shouldn't be trying to make money off of what? Okay, look, listen, I'm not Mother Teresa. Okay, I ain't going to do all of this and give all this information away for free. All right, continuously, not when you have the ability to capitalize. I'm sorry, this is how the country works. But um, it is what it is. Jason Webb says, back for more lessons. Thank you, man. RMS says, saints and pelicans by the same person. Who that? Who that? Not who they, who that? So they came from the Benson family. And I believe the daughter is running the saints and the pelicans, if I'm not mistaken. So again, that's a family legacy. Many of these people who purchased franchises in the 60s and 70s, unlike Jack King Cook, who got a divorce and had to sell the Redskins and the Lakers, all right, he would be rich on top of rich if he didn't have to sell the franchises. But he got a divorce. Many of these franchises are owned by families almost exclusively. So it's going to be difficult for them, you to um, tug at their heartstrings. Oh, Jerry Jones, would you please? Jerry Jones is like, kiss my ass. And Jerry Jones was cutthroat. Even though they ain't won a damn Super Bowl since the 90s, Jerry Jones is a cutthroat owner and he probably has the most valuable football franchise, even though they don't win shit. Jerry Jones is valuable as hell, and I believe he has a daughter that works for the organization. She just got a demotion, I believe, or something she left and came back. He might have a son, but Jerry Jones don't give a F. He got in a car accident looking for 304s and streetwalkers the other uh, couple of weeks ago, allegedly. But these owners are part of a club that you ain't going to ever be a part of. And once you, even if you try to become a part of it, they will find a way to make you not a part of it. All right. It's crazy. DG Seymour blessings from Cali, Columbia. He out in Cali, Columbia out there. Oh my God. Protect your man out here. He going crazy with the Colombian chicas. All right. Oh, Cam says, or we'll call you that. The collapse episode is a classic. The collapse of the strong and independent woman is crazy. 
and a lot of men. Shout out to Joshua Moon says, all facts, coach. And we deliver the facts. Nothing really I said here. Even when we get political, hey, everything, people always get touchy about political. Hey, it isn't, dude, politi political stuff put us in this situation, by the way. Of course, I have a preference, but I don't let that, I, I'm not a passionate person on the other side either. I know where the demons are, and I know where the demons are on the other side too. I'm not passionate to tell you, but I know you're being misled by one particular side for sure. And they always try the same tactics against you, and you fall for it hook, line, and sinker. I don't know how you do it. To me, it's absolute ignorance. You know what I mean? Like, I know you're offended when I talk about that, but to me, it's absolute knuckle-dragger stuff when I see it, and they do it every time. I'll be like this. <laughs> I, I know too much history about it. All right, so bring in his. I'll be looking at y'all like this here. Wait a minute. Hold on for a second. I'll be looking at y'all like this. I'm like, y'all not falling for that again, are you? You are. God dang. <laughs> right? Y'all been falling for that for 160 years. <laughs> I'm like, this is despicable. But I can't help y'all. I mean, I could see if they tried a different strategy. And then I would be like, well, at least they tried something different. But they. <laughs> and y'all fall for it. And then, of course, with hindsight, y'all all come out making videos after calling people Uncle Toms and sellouts. Y'all call it. Then y'all come out. Hmm. Acting like y'all came up with a new uh, discovery. Wow, this guy, this didn't work out for us. And I'm like, you dumbass, I was saying that before. But you called me an Uncle Tom. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, let's get back to the show. Let's get, <clears throat> sorry. Remember this right here. So let's talk about, um, <laughs> let's talk about what people are willing to do to cheat the system to get ahead. And so we talked about the intangibles of generational wealth, which are intangibles are going to be <clears throat> education, access to education, financial education, all right, habits, daily work habits, possibly crime, criminal activity, values, a value system. This is what you must have to be able to pass on to your children to not become a statistic of generational wealth, which is 70%, 90% by um third uh third generation, right? But the tangibles are money, property, land, life insurance, or any of these things, investments, savings, uh, inheritances. These are tangible things that you can pass on to descendants, or you can pass it on to the government. You can pass it on to the, the giving pledge, whatever you want to do to create some influence. There was a cheating scandal, which, is in, which indicates what people of wealth know and what you don't know. The number one thing that they know is that they'll get less penalty because they're already wealthy. So if they cheat the system, they're not going to be in any way sorry for cheating the system. Meaning if they can find a way to put their kid into school with their wealth and access to people, they'll do it ahead of you, even though you probably deserve an opportunity to get the same education. They don't care. These people got a very light penalty for cheating a lot of people out of education, which is a tangible thing that you can pass on or an intangible, if you will, that you can pass on to your generation because maybe you're the first or second generation people in your family to be able to get this education at a high student, let, uh, student loan debt cost. They didn't care, did they? Did they care? Nope. They cheated the system because they know what this education means. Not only does it mean reputation for them, 
which means a lot for wealthy people. They wanted to be able to say, my kids got into X university, which is a big deal. These universities many times can push out people into blue chip jobs. They're blue chip, reputable universities. Did they push them to state universities? They did not. They pushed them to the top 15 or 20 reputable universities. This shows you the lengths that people will go through to get their kids and pass on generational uh, wealth and reputation. They were non-apologetic about it right here. It says right here, parents paid uh, William uh, Singer approximately $25 million to bribe coaches and, and university administrators to designate their children as purported athletic recruits, thereby facilitating the child's admissions to these universities. If you don't know, and I've worked in university athletics, how it works is athletes get priority registration and sometimes can be admitted under less academic standards than the average person. It's a direct pipeline into admissions. And so if you're a team that has 15 scholarships, you're only going to use 13 or you have a priority registration and admission, you can go directly to admission officers and say, this person's a part of my team. So admit them, even though they fall under the academic requirements slightly, slightly, they're good, but they're not as good. And the admissions offices will often say, okay, they hate to do this many times uh, because they know they're putting students in a bad situation by admitting them into the university. They're not going to compete many times, but the coaches are, worth more than these administrators. These coaches are more valuable and their programs are more valuable many times than the university itself. And so they will say, hey, we got to get this kid into school. They're going to be a part of the team. Now, what would happen is once the first day of school happened, the kid would quit the team, quit the team, and then they would, they would be admitted and they finally got priority registration. They're admitted and they got into the school. So they found a way around it and they used their advantage. And they were unapologetic about it. This is how deep the scandal goes. Many of your people who you're competing against are unapologetic about cheating. All right. How about this? Speaking of cheating, they will find a way to cheat you out of what you've owned. Many men have owned land in this country. And as you can say, many people who look like this man right here have been cheated, swindled, um, politically redlined out of land many times by people who they voted in unfortunately this is the unfortunate truth and they'll talk about this right here now of course people are going to say well you're being political again but again people who they voted for fdr jfk obama clinton these people were the ones who created the people how the government helped white americans steal black farmland these were the people these weren't many times these weren't the republicans Right. These were the Democrats who did this. And uh, it says it here in the article, if you will, we could get to it. But um, um, I can uh, show you here. Because they get you emotionally ramped up into we're going to help you overcome. And then they find a way to legislatively push you out of the land. I mean, it's it's a it's a very, very, very uh, deceit, devious plan that they push ahead of you while purporting to be the hero and saying this other side is not trying to help you out. It's very devious what they're doing here. Uh, but here it is right here. It says right here, the New Deal liberals needed Southern legislators to pass their agenda, which gave the South, the South's elite immense control over legislation. These elites were determined to maintain the South's 
racial order and move as a block to crush any programs that threatened it. So they act, they identified the New Deal at this particular point. If you know anything about political politics, the New Deal was originated by Democratic Socialist uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who served four terms. He was dead on the fourth term, but that's neither here or there. And a lot of people looked at him as a positive for the community, but he was actually a great negative. All right. Same thing with JFK, who transitioned into um, uh, Baines, Lyndon Baines Johnson. And when they signed in the Civil Rights Act, it actually was a negative long term as, a, as opposed to a positive. It actually disenfranchised more black people than it did help them. And with the help of Martin Luther King, who was a part of the, the, the uh, Civil Rights Act, it turned out to be a mass, a massive negative more than a positive, although that's debatable. That's debatable, but if you look at it, it actually disenfranchised more blacks than it did help. There was a time that people always talk about what? The old Black Wall Street. Well, if you're for Black Wall Street, you would be against the Civil Rights Acts, okay? You would say Black Wall Street is a segregationist policy, which then the only way for you to get economically great is through segregation, not through integration. So you can't be for civil rights acts and, and for Black Wall Street. You got to be against civil rights acts and for Black Wall Street. But of course, you 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 benefited slightly from civil rights acts and thought integration was best, but integration has been a mitigated disaster. Debatable. Debatable, though. That's a debatable co uh, uh, conversation there. It says right here, in 1934, an anonymous correspondent from Arkansas warned the readers of the crisis, the NAACP magazine, that the New Deal policies would spell the end of black farmers. Almost all the state's black farmers, quote, the whole savings of, of from one to three generations would be swept off the map unless the, quote, colored people get some of the governments set up as well as the other, as the other, sorry, if one could help in this it would be it would do negroes nearly as good as the civil war all right so this is a great article if you guys want to read this uh it talks about how land was shifted from one group to another and how people were disenfranchised and lost economic force that let me show you this article uh right here it says u.s black farmers lost 326 billion dollars worth of land in the 20th century So I don't want to, to anger you. I don't want this to anger you. I don't want people to say, see, and the white man and all these things. What this means to say is that a lot of people who have warm hearts, a lot of people who trust in people to do their bidding, you often have been stabbed in the back, which means to say you have to have a cold heart out here. Okay, you can't be one of these people who lean heavily on politics lean heavily on people, reparations and handouts or things, people saving you, voting for these people to make a change. You cannot do it out here. You got to have selfishness in your heart. If you want to be part of the wealthy and if you want to be part of the people who have generational wealth and if you want to be a part of the people who have a chance out here. This is how you do it. You can't be out here because once you do this, you're going to get finessed. You're going to get finessed. And here's another article here. It says land loss has plagued black Americans since emancipation. It is time to look back at black commons and collective ownership. Um, it's too late. I mean, it's too late because all of that land has been pretty much 
uh, grabbed here and pr probably legitimately stolen through ignorance, right? They got you to sign contracts or they say this would help you out and you didn't understand the contract and you signed the contract and they legally finessed you out of your land. At the peak of the 1910s, African-American farmers made up around 14% of all U.S. farmers owning 16 to 19 million acres of land. By 2012, Black Americans represented just 1.6% of the farming community owning 3.6 acres of land. Another study shows a 98% decline in Black farmers from 1920 to 1997. And this, man, I'm telling you, bro, I mean, you guys got to be on top of this. You guys got to be on top of this. And know that they're doing much, much more of this uh, based on what I've been showing you here. I mean, this land grab, this money grab has been happening over and over. And you've been worried about uh, a police officer putting a knee in the neck and you get emotionally charged and then they finesse you based on an emotional. But then they back in, they back in pimp slap you like this. They back in pimp slap you and then they finesse you out of land. Uh, the same people who you vote for. Uh, let's see here. I know this is stuff here. I know people get upset when I talk about this, but it is what it is. It is what it is. This is the generational wealth category. Let me do this last one right here about divorce. The source of wealth in your high net value, uh, high net worth divorce, how this can complicate your divorce. So they talk about the things that you can do when you get married. That some of you men, let's get back off a of race and back into men. Some of you men avoid this because you fall for love and hope. And then you think you're going to find someone to help you build. Not today, you're not. Unless you come from a family that has that as a priority and you're some, in some sort of uh, arranged marriage where you iron out the legalities before you walk down the aisle, you're going to get finessed out of this wealth. I mean, I'm just sad to say this is what's going to happen. Most of you will. I mean, seven, eight out of ten of you will. Because you're going in with love and going in with hope. Ultimately, you're going to find out that that doesn't work for you. And then your future wealth, your future one, two, and three generations of people will be completely wiped out on an emotional argument alone. And it, this is my family. My family's going through this. And they'll continue to go through this. Just as a side note, I'm in a better economic situation than I've been in in the past, although it changes all the time. On my other part, my co-parents situation, economically not very good. And the future doesn't look very good either. However, there's a chance for me to put my children in a way better situation. And my counterpart, this is all alleged, is in an emotional argument. I'm not sure what it is, but she would like the kids to live with her full time in their remaining teenage years. In the hardest time to raise children, which you both need to keep an eye on the children, she would love them to be in a depressed economic situation with no future guarantee, as opposed to being with me that has a probably a higher chance of putting them in an economic greater position. And she still would probably prefer for them to be in a depressed situation. This is what divorce does to you. Now, this is an argument that I can present and lay out and say, well, where are you going in the next three years versus where am I going? She would say she doesn't care. She would prefer them to be with her because she's the mother and potentially get some sort of economic downfall where it trickles down to her in the form of child support. She thinks that that's a better plan, right? And I'm going, hey, what do you do? What do you do with this information? And this information, 
with this information, it would cost me any potential future wealth to fight for that. Because it's an emotional argument that I cannot overcome. You see what I mean? Because the argument is still going to be emotional. I cannot fight against that. And is it worth it? Because I would spend probably in the excess of $40,000, $50,000 to fight for what I already have, which is split custody. That's what I would get again. I already have that. You see what I mean? And I talked to an attorney, essentially, and that's what the attorney, that's what the attorney told me. The attorney said, well, why would you fight that? Now, most people will say fight for your kids, which would be the moral thing to do. But the attorney says, you're going to spend $40,000 to get what you already have. Essentially, then I'm on the waiting period. I already have it. Why would I budge? So then the kids go over there. You know what I mean? Is the 40 grand worth it? I mean, I have it. I have it. Am I willing to just say, hey, or am I willing to go, I'll just move to the future? I'll just move to the future and go, I can put that money towards something else. But these are the things that people have to understand you're going to go through. And this is why I'm here. This is why I'm here. Some people say it is worth it. Some people say it is worth it. Some people say it's not worth it. So it's, it's one of those situations that you have to, these are decisions that men have to make. And this is happens. Um, this happens in real time. So many, many people understand. Somebody says legal insurance. Uh, legal insurance won't cover this. The family court doesn't is not covered by legal insurance. But um, you will go through this all the time. And many of these things I go through in real time, and I get to explain what I'm going through, just so you can see. So you can see that it affects me. It affects every man and many men go through these situations and they just say, you know what? I'll wash my hands. I, I can't deal with it. It's not worth it. It's only for two years. I already have this. Why buck the system? Some people say it is worth it. Fight for them down to the very end. And many times they still may not appreciate it, right? They, they'll say, well, thanks dad, but I'm going to do what I do. But this is what we deal with as men. And this is the contract that you're getting in and what you are intending as a man. And let's just put it back to the general conversation and not me. What you intend as a man, you're not trying to be selfish. You want your kids to get the best. You want to provide for them in some sort of way, which means you want to be involved in their life, right? That's your intent as a man. Your intent as a man is that. Your intent is generational wealth. I want to put my kids in a better situation. Now, on the other side, you're going to get selfishness on their end. They're going to say, no, I don't want you to do all of that. Or if I, if you do do all of that, do it out of the kindness of your heart. In the meantime, I'm going to drag you in the court of public opinion, right? Wait a minute. Yeah. In the meantime, you're a deadbeat. In the meantime, you're a bad dad. In the meantime, but while you're doing this, I'm going to put them in a bad situation or a worse situation than you have, potentially. And then I'm going to take from you and then I'm going to play the hero, right? But you're going to do it because that's what you're supposed to do. It's one of the most weirdest things, but what's going to happen is as a result, your money's going to be funneled from you into the state, back into the kids. And then you got to hope that the mom does what she needs to do, which many of them do. Most of them don't.
put their kids in a better situation. They actually get to the end of this rainbow and they go, well, kids, I have nothing for you. <laughs> All right. Go see your dad. Right around when the kid's 17 and a half years old, the dad starts doing what? Getting phone calls from the kid. Help dad. I need a car. Help dad. I need to go to college. Help dad. I need a dress for prom. Help dad. Right at the end, then they call back to you. And then at that point, after you've been alienated and separated, then they go, now we need you, dad. Do what you need to do. Start paying up. And now you have to pay up from years 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30. Oh, dad, where are you at? Dad, dad, pay up. So it's a hard game. Trust me, I go through it every day. Yep, dad, uh, or if the kid becomes a gangbanger, the daughter gets pregnant. Oh, somebody, the daughter starts getting hit up over the head by Tyrone. Oh, come save your kid. Come save your kid. I need a new phone. I need some new shoes. I need this. Uh, college admissions applications are just too high. What I tell men is this, the problem is this is a tough decision. You might not be able to do this, but I am very cold. I wash my hands. It's either all or nothing with me. It's either all or nothing. Not much for the kids. It's not so much directed towards the kids. You don't want to penalize them. But they're only being teenagers. But what I tell you is you got to be hardcore. All right. Unfortunately, in this time, and the reason why we're continuing to go through these things is because men are not hardcore. You don't fight dirty. You fight morally. You're trying to negotiate intellectually and logically and they're fighting you're fighting an emotional battle you're not gonna win you can't win and then when you go to social services primarily it's going to be women and those women are going to tell you just pay up and stop bothering them <laughs> just pay up let the kids go over there don't bother them don't upset the apple cart just pay your money and skedaddle get out of the way right it's a weird thing that we go through as men and nobody will understand it, nor will they feel sorry for you, but you got to start protecting yourself in this instance. Otherwise they're going to bring you back and say, well, you should pay for this. You should do the right thing. And remember beyond behind every great fortune lies a great crime. If you want to be rich and wealthy, your moral compass has to be very low in America. <laughs> one more thing, one more thing. And I'll say this, churches in America have become less of a corner store church into mega churches. And what you found of these mega church leaders is that they're just as unscrupulous and venomous and lethal and lack morality than the other people out here that are millionaires. These mega church people who are supposed to live by a moral compass of Jesus cheese. What ends up happening is once the money starts rolling in, they are a part of a tax-free structure that allows them to capitalize financially. As a result, they do something which would be less moral, somewhat criminal. And they do what? Buy planes, boats. Uh, they go travel on vacations. They bone the secretaries. They build big old, big old mega castle churches on your dime and donations. And nobody call. well, people call them out on it. They call them out on it. But never, do they ever stop? Do they ever say, you know what? You people are right. 
No, beyond behind every great fortune lies a great crime. Their moral compass lowers once the money starts rolling in. So I don't want to hear about morality. When it comes to this topic, sure, there's moral conversations to be had, but when it comes to this, <laughs> the moral conversation is much more like shaming language. And the minute you turn to, okay, I'll do the right thing, that means you bend over and you take it. That means you bend over and you pay, despite the fact you've been treated very poorly in the situation. Am I, I, I'm trying to clear it up and trying to make, make sure you understand that this, no matter where you apply it, if you bring somebody back to a moral discussion, it often means you have to pay. And they will say, just be the bigger man. Just pay. It's the right thing to do. It often means you sacrifice yourself. It often means you sacrifice your future. It often means you sacrifice good money for bad money. All right? That's what it means. It's a trap. It's a trap that clergy's been using against you for a long time. It's a trap that the media has been using for you for a long time. They get you back in line by saying, well, just do the right thing and throw good money at bad. Or you can be smart and go, have a, have a, have a heart full of ice and just march forward. <laughs> All right, let's do the PayPals. It's a tough conversation, and a lot of you guys aren't ready for that. A lot of you guys aren't built for this. You're not built for it. And it's okay. <laughs> it's okay you're not built for it. Yeah, you got to have a icebox where your heart used to be. But that's if you want, you know, that's if you want what you really want out of this life. If you want to be used as a government mule and you want to be used as a slave and they bring you back to morality, go ahead. But I don't know what to tell you. I've made the choice a long time ago. Where are we at? Where are we at? Billy the Kid says, you, have, you be at the gas station, you let the old head ahead, and the next thing you know, he playing 50 lottery tickets, and you want $5 on pump number seven. My God. How many times has that happened to you? You're like, all right, you can go ahead of me. And this fool has no regard for your time. They're complete. Let me buy this ticket. Let me buy this ticket. And you're like, bro, get out of the way. And he's looking at you like, don't rush me. You're like, I'll let you in front of me. <laughs> Guys, never let anybody skip in front of you. I mean, if you want to play that game, oh, it's nice. Pay it forward. Pay it forward. You're going to end up finding out that they don't care about you in the end. You're like, holy shit. <laughs> Turnpike Tyrone says the Cowboys are the most valuable sports franchise on the planet, including international soccer, 5.5 billion. I venture to say they're in the neighborhood of 8 billion now with the, the Broncos going for 4 billion. All right, the, the Cowboys is the world's economic team for sure. Their, their net worth had to double overnight. Pac-Man in the building, he says, you, he says, yo, I gotta give you my daily support. Like people before me say, $1 for every ninja watcher out there that places judgment on you. So stop bring political and give me the do Biden because like Drake said, F the other side because we still winning. Some self-reflection for these knuckle draggers. Uh, what side of the wealth transfer you want to be on? <laughs> oh man, they're not ready for that. 
let me give you a little do Biden and a short one on the do Biden. Uh, the transfer of wealth is happening, happening right now. Big time, big time. I mean, if you're feeling the economic crunch right now, you're probably on the wrong side. Hey, I told you to do Biden. How we done lost a damn vote? We done lost a vote. That's gonna go to Trump. God damn. Now, I don't want you to become criminals out here. Protect yourself. Maintain your freedom. All right. Maintain your freedom. It's not time to be out here committing crimes. We don't want you to do any of that out here. But uh, your moral compass is definitely have to change slightly. Mother Teresa is not coming back. <laughs> All right. Larry Bird's not walking through that door, fans. Kevin McHale's not walking through that door. And Robert Parrish is not walking through that door. And if you expect them to walk through the door, they're going to be gray and old. Shout out to you. Who is this right here? Fran Francis says, Coach, totally unrelated, but you'll get a kick out of this. It's nothing bad. Just a YouTube short from your clip archive. All right. Uh, I'm not sure what that is. It's hard for me to copy and paste. And, but I'm not going to show it live, though, because last time I did that, the dude was getting daggered and she was going in between the dude's legs. But she was doing the full out sexual assault that I talked about. Oh, <laughs> I know what this is. Oh, no. I think this is a skit, but I think it, this is pretty funny. Um, I'm going to have to turn the volume down, though, uh, because, because it might be copyrighted music. Let me see if I can turn the volume down. No, I can't. I might get copyrighted for this one. But uh, this is a guy taking a picture of a woman's feet. So look at right here. Look at right here. Uh, she got her feet out. Let's see the dude. Girlfriend out here. <laughs> Yo, Taryn. <laughs> oh, that would be me right there, man. She can't have them feet out like that with me, bro. I'll be all over that. Yo, Taryn. I think it's a skip, but uh, hey, hey, I'm feeling you, Sean. Yo, Sean, I'm feeling that, man. She can't have them pretty feet out there right there. I'm going to need to get a picture of them feet, baby. <laughs> Who said that? Shout out to Francis. Oh, man, I'm going to have to get a picture of them feet. They look good, too. Hello. Shout out to Vance. He says, Coach F them. My mom destroyed the wealth of my family and transferred it to her original family cheated on my father and abandoned me when I was 11. She left us poor and struggling. And to this day, we haven't recovered. And I have to disrespect and I have to take the disrespect and BS because I had to live at her sister's place. Luckily, my father didn't leave me. If you have, he says, if your kids choose her over you, if the kids choose her over you, F them. Kids aren't dumb. They know right from wrong. Me and my mom are cool now. But she ruined us for years to come. My father will never recover. I'm 22 now, by the way. And uh, when she left for greener pastures, it backfired big time. It is what it is. Boy, Avery Vans in with the cold-hearted approach right here. And um, guys, man, many kids, you guys don't know. Um, many kids that grew up in single mother households. I mean, the statistics bear this out. I, I, I'm not against single mothers. But what I'm telling you statistically, you have been sacrificed because you were a ward of the state. She turned you over for the state. Many of them had no plan. The kids that ended up doing well did well, not because of her, but they, of course, she gets the credit and she's the real MVP. Many times the kid just had an, 
athletic talent, talent and academic talent and so forth. And they beat the system. They were an introvert instead of being out here and desperate to be part of gangs and drug culture. And they didn't need the protection. So they just stayed in the house. So those people beat the system. I beat the system that way because I was an incredible introvert and I never needed to, to be a part of gangs to have a sense of self-belonging. I belong to myself and I'm very happy with that, right? So those people beat the system. Most people get sacrificed for years. Many men that grow up in single mother households or single parent households don't even own homes until they're in their 40s or 50s. First time they ever buy, be able to purchase a home. Their credit is shot all the way until their 20s and 30s. If they get married and divorced, they get ruined doubly. Come on, man. You barely survive. Many times you didn't go on the field trips. You didn't go on college tours. You didn't go on college campus visits. You didn't get placed in the right academic programs. All because your mother wanted to keep you for a selfish need. It's, it's absolutely crazy. And of course, the exception of the rule shows up. And then they say, well, look at this mom. Their kid got, their kid got into Princeton and they beat the odds. Yes. But if you look up single parent raised kids statistics. It's dismal. And many times they had a chance. And like Avery Band said, kids know. Kids know right from wrong. What you have to understand about teenagers, um, I've coached a lot of teenagers in my years. This is why my kids are teenagers. Nothing surprises me with them. I've been coaching teenagers since I was 18. Okay, since I was 18 or 19 years old, all the way until my 30s. I've been coaching them, training them. I've been around kids all my life or adolescents, I'll say. Never believe that they don't know what's going on. What they do is they use and leverage or sometimes use the divide and conquer to get what they want. So I never feel bad when a teenager makes a choice and I'm penalizing them for that choice. They're not, they're not kids, despite the fact that you guys don't know what a kid is, do you? And I, I hear it when people make ignorant statements about teenagers. They'll be like, that's a kid. No, it's not. That is an adolescent, a young adult. People will say 21-year-old people are kids. No, they're young, but they're not children. These are young adults, and their brains are not fully developed until age 25, which means to say, if that's the case, if they're kids, they shouldn't be smoking, nothing. They shouldn't be drinking. They shouldn't be at war. They shouldn't be able to own a gun. They shouldn't be able to vote either. But we allow them to do that. Because then we say they're an adult. But these people know what they're doing. And if you're a divisive family to begin with, the kids are going to manipulate that division and get what they want. They shouldn't be fornicating. They shouldn't be doing anything. They shouldn't be on OnlyFans, but we allow it. But then we want to rescue them and call them children. Absolutely not. If kids do make decisions, of course, if they make it in a good-hearted way and they're not exploiting, or manipulating, fine. But if they are using manipulation and they're allowing the other parent, parent to capitalize on that, sure, they made an adult decision. Again, age is not a determining factor in a lot of things. You guys use age to determine everything. Well, chronological age is different from mental age. It's different from biological and physical age. And this is what you guys got to understand about age. Many times a person could be 17, but have a good mental age of 20, 25, and be physically 12. We don't know what a person is based on their age, but we also know. <laughs> we also know that 
decisions that kids make can affect them throughout a lifetime. Kids can be charged as adults in some crimes. Are they kids then? No, they, they made an adult decision and they have to face adult consequences. So this is how people have to be. Uh, I know there's a lot of enablers and soft parents. I'm not one of those. I'm a little bit old school and I've been an old school guy since I was very young. This is what has allowed me to overcome the things that I've overcome because I've been never a childish person. The last time I think I was a childish person, I was eight years old. I've been pretty much a mature thinking person all through my preteens and that got me out of a lot of trouble. And many times my mother would have me uh, face pretty good consequences. So as a result, I knew that there was a person that I had to be uh, held that was going to hold me responsible. Many of you parents do not hold their kids responsible when they don't get playing time from the coach. And trust me, I've been a part of this. They don't get playing time from the coach. You criticize the coach. If the coach doesn't put them in the game, you criticize the coach. If the kid doesn't get do well in school, you criticize the teacher in the, in the program and the principal and not the kids. When the kid screws up, you come in and rescue the kids. When the kid doesn't show any sort of uh, assertiveness or ambition, you enable the kid. When the kid's looking for excuse, you find the kid. You find the kid an excuse. Mental health, ADHD, ADD, you drug your kids. You use the kids as pawns. I tell you. <laughs> I tell you. In this situation, we enable children way too much. And I've seen it for many, many years. And I've seen it throughout a lot of people's parentage. And I've always vowed that, um, I've always vowed that I would not do that in my parentage. And I wouldn't do, my mother didn't do it to me, right? I, they wouldn't do it to me. So I've been a part of education systems for a long time. And I remember parents would come after the coaches Right. They put they come after the coaches and they come after the administrators. And your kid was a screw up. <laughs> your kid was an absolute screw up. They didn't practice hard. They were absolutely atrocious academically. And then the kids, the parents will come to the game and yell at the coach. And you're going, hold up. And what and what they're scared to do is yell at their kid. So they take it out on the teachers. They take it out on the police. How many times have you seen the police come into areas and they discipline one kid and then the whole community turns against the police when the kid was committing a crime? How many times have you seen that happen? And it's deplorable. I'm like, the kid's a criminal. They should face a consequence. But what do the people say? Oh, that's a kid. That's a child. They don't know no better. Free that child. Later on, that child comes and oozies up the whole damn block, selling crack, selling, selling drugs, <laughs> tearing up the community. They, they, they butchering up animals. They setting fires to buildings. Same kid. Same kid. Why? Because you gave them an out. And once kids understand that there's an out, they're going to exploit it. I don't care how old they are. I don't care how old they are. So when they're kids, they're old enough to know what they're doing, manipulating and exploiting. This is why I don't give them a pass. I've seen it too long in my life. I've seen kids get away with it and I've seen parents become enablers. Unfortunate. It's unfortunate.
But um, it is what it is. <laughs> it is what it is. What we need is bear, better parenting. Better, better parenting. We need stronger parenting. We need undisciplined, we need disciplined parenting. We need parenting that doesn't have 50 excuses for the kids to wriggle out of. I once was a, just telling you stories here now. I once served as a resource aide. I was coaching for a high school in my 20s. Early, I think I was like 22, 23. I was the head varsity girls basketball coach. And as a way to give me a job, because they didn't have an open teaching job, I had a teaching credential, but um, they didn't have any open jobs, but I was the varsity coach. So they were like, hey, we'll give you this resource assistant job. And at the time, this was the early stages of special education. Shout out to all the special education teachers out here and whatever. But what they did was, if a kid was struggling in school or they had ADHD, they were on an IEP, um, they had some sort of mental health disability or whatever it was, whatever they were going through, I would go to their classes with them and I would take notes for the kid. <laughs> I would take notes for the kids. I was like, I was in school. I was in school listening to the teacher lecture, taking notes. The kid this was before cell phones were uh, smartphones. So this was in the late 90s. These freaking kids would just be sitting there barely on the spectrum of whatever they were on. If they had ADHD or ADD, they barely had it. I mean, minimal. There were some kids that needed some great help, but there were some kids that were just probably screw ups. They were just knuckleheads. They didn't want to really put no emphasis in it. Their parents were enablers, lackers. Slackers, they probably were weed heads, the parents themselves. And I'm with this kid who can understand two plus two. He can understand what I'm telling them, but he, oh, you know, nah, lazy as fuck. <laughs> Sitting there watching me do all the work. I'm 22, going back to high school, taking notes in every class, following this fool or this kid to class to class to class going to their little resource hour, reviewing the notes with them. They don't give a damn. They didn't care. Then when it came time to take the test, I'm taking the test with this kid based on the information that was just provided to me. I'm sitting here reading every question to the kid, essentially giving the kid the answer. Essentially giving the kid the answer. Here's the question. Here's the question. The kid, oh, yeah, ooh, uh, ooh, uh, ooh. <laughs> this is high school, bro. This was like ninth, tenth, and eleventh graders I'm dealing with. In high, I'm like, where were these people in my high school? Reading the question to them, uh, I don't know, man. What's the answer? I don't know. 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 Is it? Is it? Is it? Is it this one? I'm sitting there, like looking at him. It ain't that one, you dumbass. <laughs> what about this question? These kids know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. And see, this is the point of what I'm getting at. How far are we going to let kids take this crap, right? How long are they going to let them manipulate the system? Uh, is it this one? No, it ain't this one. Uh, it's this answer. Is it that one? Yeah, okay, mark that one. And I'm sitting there like, what is this? What is this? I'm 22, fresh out of college, coaching basketball. All I want to do is coach basketball. I don't want to do this job. They gave me this job. They end up giving me a different job because I was like, this job is terrible. So anything related to special ed, I know there's a need for it, but sometimes I'll be like, 
these kids are manipulating the system, bro. <laughs> like some of these kids, they actually to to test for these disabilities. I believe it costs a couple ten thousand dollars. Sometimes the district pays for these, and they get a kickback from the state. It's all a system. I don't understand it one hundred percent, but I know that that's true. I know that that's true. And I'm sitting there like, this is ridiculous, bro. I'm like, where are we going with this? And this was in the late 90s. This was like 98, 99. I'm like, boy, if this continues, this next generation isn't going to be absolutely ridiculous. And of course, this is the millennials. These are the Generation Z. And so they cost them 10, 20. Somebody says it's nobody's fault but the boomers, bro. Yeah. He says, yep, you have to bring in a specialist to diagnose them. So, um... You would get, yeah, the kid gets, sometimes in some states, the kids can get a check and the mother, the parents can get a check for this disability. And then the district pays $20,000, some $30,000 to get tested and diagnosed. And then the kid is in here. Have, I mean, they don't need that much help. They don't need me to take their notes. But what I'm saying is, um, what I'm saying is teenagers know how to finesse. They're not kids, bro. They know exactly. Now, do they know the consequences? That they don't know because they don't really have enough life to understand what they're doing is going to lead them into some sort of, they're going to pay the price later. They're going to pay the price for this later. But as a result, though, adults are capitalizing on this. Some people are getting financial kickbacks for this. Some people are getting medication kickback. I mean, it's it's an evil system. But I know manipulation when I see it. I know manipulation when I see it, and um, I don't let teenagers get away with it. Not at all. I don't let these girls come out here and and dress half naked and act like they don't know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. I don't let young dudes and knuckleheads come out here and play the victim after they rob the liquor store, and then they get a knee in their neck. You knew what you were doing, son. You knew what you were doing. As a result, you you made that choice, and the consequences should be lived out. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I'm so, I'm a little cold-hearted. You got to learn the hard way. And sometimes we let kids pile on, pile on, pile on and prevent them from learning the hard way. And then they never learn the hard way until the hard way comes and then it's too late. It's too late. But, you know, people will call me a hardcore guy, but I call you guys soft. You're soft on kids. <laughs> Y'all soft on kids. That uh, 18 years in education and watching kids finesse systems and get away with get away with despicable things and not earn. Many of them earned their their keep. Most of them didn't. They were given full scholarships and couldn't even get a 2.0 and stay eligible. Full scholarships to good institutions and they come in and couldn't stay eligible and flunked out on a full scholarship. I've seen it too many times. Like, wow. Same thing as kids that earned millions of dollars as professional athletes and squandered it. Your fault. <laughs> Absolutely your fault. So uh, anyway, shout out to Avery Vans for that one, boy. You was you was ready hardcore with that one, and I'm gonna get you uh, set it up, set it set it up out here, set it up out here. And then when they squandered it, they played the victim the entire time, and they blamed somebody else. And the common uses of blaming that they wriggle out of is either a learning deficiency, now it's depression, a victim of abuse, 
unfortunately, too many people are victims of legit abuse. But then these kids use these things to say that that's why they failed. Abuse is never approvable abuse. It's what they consider abuse. Um, mental health. Now it's the big one that they use to wriggle out. And then learning disability. Meanwhile, it was bad parenting. <laughs> that's what it was. It was enabler parents, coddling parents, probably divorced parents using the kid as a pawn um, or to get some financial gain from the child and weak parenting. That's what it was. But if you're mad at this, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. I don't give kids excuses, especially when you get past 15. No excuse. 15, 16, absolutely not. No. 14, 13, yeah, 12. You get about 15 or 16. I'll be like, mm -mm. <laughs> because I've listen, I've it's not, it's not I've worked with this population for near near two decades. And they know how to screw you over. They know how to be, play the victim. They know. I'm like, nope, you ain't getting around with me. Shout out to uh, Cali, Miami West. Cali West, Miami. But coach, your mama black. Just because your mama is black doesn't mean you can't hold her accountable. They will use you because your father won't, wouldn't allow it, which is why she is the independent and single. Yes. Uh, the that's that goes back to male authority and a lot of times men will stand up for their male authority which means you're going to lose your kids <laughs> anytime you stand up for your male rights that means you lose you're, you're basically signing up to lose so what is it are you going to be henpecked and controlled or are you going to say f this ish whatever it is that's what you're going to get as a result and i will challenge people on this i'll challenge you on this Look at the state of economics today and look at the state of people between the years of 18 and 32. I want you to look good and hard at them. Are they self-sufficient? Are they starting families? Are they purchasing homes? Are they on the path of leaving their mother's house? Now, if they come from a broken family, uh, most of the time, they haven't even left the house. Most of these people are moving back in after living with roommates. Guys, they're living with four in Southern California. They're living with four people in one in a two bedroom house or a two bedroom apartment. These people are not launching. There are some that are. There are some millennials that are crushing it out here. Congratulations to you guys. But many of these people are not doing a damn thing. All right, they ain't doing a damn thing. And as a result, any of the kids that are coming in behind them in this current economy, they ain't going to do nothing for a long time. For a long time, they ain't going to do jack shit. All right. All the way up to 25, 30. Remember I showed you about the young boy. He was 29, still living at his mother's house. He don't care. He going to get some peace leave, bounce back to his mama's house. And his mama's house said, you don't have to leave, boy. Somebody says, but coach, we can't even discipline the kids. The school teaches them that they can call the cops if they feel abused. This is kind of almost out of the parents' hands. Again, look. Um, <clears throat> sorry. This is where we've gone with it. Um, this is kind of a liberal approach to parenting. 
they they were the ones that said you can't tell your kid no. Oftentimes you see these liberal parents. Oh, I don't want to tell my kid no. And this kid is on the uh, what was the nanny show? They brought that nanny out, that nanny from England. <laughs> Hold on for a second. And they were like, my kid's out of control. And they were completely weak parent. What was that nanny show? This is these are the people who now have teenagers and now have millennial adults still living at home. What was the nanny show? Super nanny. How did I not remember that? So this is the weak parentage that we've gone in because we're scared to parent our kids. And if you do parent your kids, they will find a way to call you the abuser, right? They, that, that is a shaming tactic, by the way. Or you, you guys, this is the, it's either one or the other. You're either their best friend or you're letting them run you or you're just a, 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 an abusive parent, right? It's, it's the playbook. But these people were the ones that says, you can't spare the rod, spare the child. You can't discipline your kids. Can't yell at them. You can't tell them no. Meanwhile, look at what we produced. Look at what we produced. Look at the results. The results speak for themselves. <laughs> the results speak for themselves. The current age between 18 and 32, 34, just look. Just look at them. I mean, and, it, and everybody's going to say, well, it's the economy. No, it's not. It's your weak-ass parenting. <laughs> That's all it is. All right. So anyway, I'm holding you guys accountable. All right. Finishing up with the cash apps because we've had enough of this. Shout out to Winnie Wall. He says, coach, I told you to do Biden. Shout out to, to Biden out there. Mr. Gonzalez, Justin Gonzalez says, my stepdad said, just make over 70K a year and keep your head down. And you'll be fine as a single man. At 70K a year, you should be somewhat fine as a single man. Keep your head down. Uh, Ricky V, check out The Secret of Selling the Negro on YouTube. Oh, I've heard of this. The Secret to Selling to the Negro. I believe Angry Man was talking about this. There's a video. <laughs> There's a book that came out. It says here, there's a film in 1954 financed by the Johnson Publishing Company hmm, and published in Ebony Magazine to encourage advertisers to promote their products and services in the African-American media. Wow. I'm going to have to watch this. The Secret to Selling to the Negro. 22. Wow. Essentially, the secret to finessing. That's what it is. Octavius. Mooborn says, hope your situation works out in your favor, coach. I don't have hope. Um, I don't have hope. I basically make a decision and say, well, uh, and I'm, I'm very good at this in my life. I will get to the fork in the road. This is what you guys have to do. When you get to the fork in the road, know that if you go left, there's possible reward and there's consequences. If you go right, there's possible reward and there's consequences. There's never a way you stay in the middle and get to where you want to go. I want you to listen to this. Because what, what some people want to do is they want to stay in the middle and face no consequences and make the right choice. There is no right choice. <laughs> There's left and right. That's it. And one has consequences and repercussions. 
Same as the other side. Some has risk and some has uh, a reward. But you got to take the risk. There's no avoiding risk. And that's what you guys want to do. I'll just stay in the middle and avoid risk. Or I'll lose and avoid risk. There's no avoiding risk. What you have to be good at and what most people are bad at is making decisions in real time. Make decisions in real time and deal with the consequences later because there's no avoiding it. I'm able to deal with the consequences and say, shit, I got to make a decision because I got to move forward in life. The consequences are going to be there regardless. The consequences might be now or 20 years later, but I got to do what I got to do. I can't be sitting here waiting because that's the worst thing I can do. You've got to go forward, go left or go right and make the decision quickly in real time. That's the best way to live life. If you sitting here can't make decisions, you'll be like the rest of the knuckle draggers out here who can't make decisions in life in real time. They can only make decisions after the fact. With deliberation and they wait too long. Think long, think wrong. They sit there and then all of a sudden when the time has elapsed and it's too late, now they can make the right decision because it's clear they should have easily made the right decision. It's clear. 2020 hindsight. Oh, I should have done. Yeah, well, it's too late. It's too late. Make a decision. Live with it. 100%. I mean, this is the life that I have you in. Because there's no lack of consequences in any decision you make. There's always going to be a consequence. Uh, DK says, coach is right. I'm six. He says, I'm one six siblings that had my dad. One out of six siblings that had my dad. Wow. And you ended up probably better than them. Wow. Congratulations on that. Gemini writer says, only other men's future wives, wait, only other men's, I, I'm trying to figure this out. Only others, men, future wives, and coach can get my money, <laughs> right? Shout out to you. Thank you, sir. Kaylin Ferguson, the Cowboys still haven't won a Super Bowl in how long? I know. Mm. Shout out to the Cowgirls. Sitting this one out, Blanche Bruce's family ruined the wealth he built. I don't even know who that is, but that's an example of generational wealth working against you, passing it to the wrong person. And I'm looking it up, it says Blanche Bruce, U.S. Senator. He's the second African-American to serve in the U.S. Senate and the first to be elected full uh, full term. And so, yeah. And I think he was came from slavery to become a senator, probably a Republican, too, I'm sure. Uh, let me see here. Yep, Republican. <laughs> I don't know if you not guys knew the first couple of um the first couple of uh slaves that become politicians came from the Republican Party, although now I'm sure they switched, right? The earliest slaves, the earliest people of the slave uh freedom days were Republican. But I guessed it again. That was very common back then. I don't want to get too political on that, but yeah, uh, we know what happened there. Shout out to Joshua King. He says, from my dividends, coach, congratulations. Keep. I got money. Keep that money coming. All right, let me check. Let me check this. I got the cleaners coming in today. I got a lot going on this next five days, man. It's going to be crazy. My next five days is going to be insane, but I'm still going to make time for streams. 
and all of that. A Jedi says no wife, no kids. The Javier Fund, Coach. Shout out to the Javier Fund. The Dictator says, Coach, you cursed. You always write free CGA. We always write around here. Crazy. All right. Somebody says the political party switched. FYI. We've heard that before. That's been debunked for the most part. But um, but it is what it is. There were some people that crossed over. There's always crossover in political parties and whatnot. Even today, there's crossover, right? So we witnessed that. Necessarily didn't switch, but the, the method of delivering the poison switched. <laughs> right? At first, they were the enemy, and they were burning down your house, and they were burning crosses in your uh, yard, and then they figured out, well, we won't intimidate them. We'll welcome them in, Dixiecrat style. That's the switch. Like before that, they were forcing you. They were preventing you from voting. They were they were killing. Uh, what's the dudes' names? The three dudes, the three, two Jewish dudes and the black dude that went down south. What was the dudes' name? Cheney, Swarner, and Goodman. Cheney, Swarner, and Goodman were killed by Democrats <laughs> that didn't want them down there. Them Yankees down there meddling. Twenty years later. They were glad-handing you saying they have hot sauce in their purse. So, yeah, they they switched, all right? They just switched the method of delivering the poison. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, I listen, you don't want to talk about that part. They were like, why don't we stop intimidating them and act like we're their friend? <laughs> That's messed up. And then they say, we're going we gonna to look out for your best interest. That's how they switched. I can do some shuffling, too. Look out, man. What you going to do? Look out, boys. It's coming through. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. But there's more to that than that. There's more to that than that. <laughs> All right. Laura, uh, Lawrence Mack said, the man pack next week, coach. We got to do that. I keep forgetting. But we got to do the man pack. Newski, shout out to your contribution. And Quentin M says, F them kids, son, choose struggle X over me. So the son stroke, listen, uh, this is how it works. They have an emotional bond to their mother. So never take it personal that a kid will choose their mom. Uh, the mom is always going to be kind of the victim, kind of seen as docile. And they don't want to, they don't want, they know the mom's emotional with the kid. You're more logical and want to prep the kid for life. And the mom's going to love them. So never take it personal if your kid chooses the mom, right? They're just choosing the easiest person. And also, they don't want to hurt the mom's feelings. So um, your mom, uh, it's, it's going to happen. But at the same time, you got to live your life. At the same time, you got to live your life. So I understand why kids do it. I, I was like that, too. Um, and um, I was like, ah, you know, moms, just moms, dear mama, right? But later on, you figure out, hmm. <laughs> Hmm, was that the right choice? Was that the right choice? So uh, they don't want to they don't want to break the mom's heart. That's all it is. Uh, last one. I thought it was the last one, but now we got another one from PayPal. Shout out to Lori Harvey supporting the free agent lifestyle. Hey, Lori, call a brother. I can use you, and I have Jasmine Rice money. I got money. I don't know if I can afford Lori Harvey's fee, but I'll scrape a couple of nickels together, Lori, if you like. I'll take you. I'll take a visit. How much to get ten toes up, Lori? How much? All right. Shout out to everybody, man. We're gonna be back. Thanks for enjoying the blue chip mindset in here. 
And I'm going to have to show, watch that the selling to the American Negro video. All right, we out. I looked at it as I have an ATM between my legs and I just, I'm just using it. All I got to do is put my card in and that's it. And put the pin number and boom, money just comes right out.